Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts, Carol, Matt, Mel, and we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. Please welcome back to the podcast, Will. Yay! Hey, hello, everybody. I'm back. (laughs) Traveling buddy, Will. (laughs) Traveling buddy. I I finally made it back home like two hours ago. I got stuck. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Uh, Sad to hear, camping buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I got the uh, shimmy shams and got stuck in the hospital. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Will any particular reason why you chose this episode? I was trying to remember why I picked this episode, and the only thing I could come up with was that it was we saw the return of Mister Garrett Dillahunt. I would have guessed that's why you've done it. Yeah, that may have been it. Who's, who is he again? Did you recognize the actor who played Francis Wolcott? Yes. It's, yes. it's not my imagination. It's the same guy who killed Bill? Yes. Yeah. He played, okay. he played Jack McCall last season. Plastic surgery was good back then. I, uh, when I first saw him, I thought it was Jack McCall, you know, coming back all dressed up and like he'd found new money. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... I was like, okay, is is he pulling one over on Farnham and stuff? He's changed his name and is, you know, like grown a beard and dressed himself up and learned how to not be disgusting. And he removed his droopy eye. Yeah, exactly. Was um, that was that all it took for them? Like they just assumed people weren't paying enough attention, or they didn't care. Maybe <laughs> they just liked him that much. I it was distracting the first time I saw it, but I'm also the person who recognizes actors. I I fell for it. <laughs> yes, we got halfway through the episode before she clued in. I hmm. I literally when he got off the coach, I was like, oh, is has he you know is he pulling a fast one on these folks and stuff? No, for um, me he ha- he had to make a particular facial expression for me to recognize him, and then I was like, oh, is that what's his face? Oh my god, oh, what's he doing there? <laughs> And Matt was like, you didn't notice! What the hell? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I wasn't really familiar with Garrett Dillahunt back when I first watched the show, so I don't think I picked up on the fact it was the same actor until someone told me, but I was also high a lot back then, so I probably wouldn't have noticed anyway. He's been in so much, yeah. but I don't know if he had been in as much when he did the two roles. You know what I mean? It might have been that they thought they could get away with it because he hadn't been in as many things as he's been in now but you know it's like i've seen him in so much stuff and i'm sure a lot of it was before this originally aired this episode had a commentary by david milch and he said that although he likes actors he hates auditions so he was really happy just to cast garrett dillon in, in this role because then he didn't have to see any other actors Okay. Just a la- lazy. <laughs> yeah, I think the same thing. I was saying, well, that's really lazy. I mean, <laughs> actors hate auditioning too, but just, just grow a thicker beard, it'll be fine. Just yeah. be like, I know that guy. That guy's good. I, it is a different. Not it's a different performance, of course, but it's a real different look too. So, but it it was distracting for me the first time I saw it. Well, I like him I, as an actor. I hope he sticks around this time. So well, I was looking at his IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> In everything. Is he? 4400 ER, John from Cincinnati, Damages, Life, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Was he in Da Vinci's Inquest? Connor <laughs> <laughs> Chronicles were the ones that first, always first come to mind with him. 
Pretty sure you have to be Canadian to be in Da Vinci's Quest. Yeah, it doesn't appear to be. He was on the show Raising Hope, too, which was a comedy, and apparently he was very funny on that. So the guy's yeah. got good range, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, our Reader's Theater article today is read by John Pavlich of Cast, which is the Supernatural intro cast. Yay, John. The title of this one is All for Love. Part one of two. This is our first uh, Reader's Theater two-parter. <laughs> All for Love, Part the First, Black Hills, Daily Times, December 7th, 1877. A thrill of horror ran through the community last night as the intelligence passed from mouth to mouth that Kitty Leroy had been shot and instantly killed by her husband, Samuel Curley, who in turn had killed himself. A Times reporter was at the Lone Star, the scene of the tragedy, Within a few minutes after the occurrence, and through the kindness of Captain Willard, Deputy Johnson, and other officers in charge of the building, was admitted. Through the saloon, up a dark, narrow stairway, and into the front room above, Mr. Seaver led the way to the lifeless bodies of the murderer and his victim, lying feet to feet, not a yard apart. The woman rested upon her back, in a position and with a quiet facial expression that indicated not of the bloody deed that had been enacted, but a moment before. Close examination revealed a small bullet hole in the waist of her dress, which, upon being opened, disclosed the fatal wound in the center of her chest. In an opposite corner of the room lay the murderer upon his face, in a sickening pool of blood, his brains oozing and pieces of skull protruding from the ghastly wound. His right arm was doubled up behind him, the hand grasping a Smith & Wesson American model 44 caliber pistol, with a stream of blood poured out of his head, coursed down the arm, and fell into the pool and coagulated. Dr. Conley arrived soon after, and the corpse was straightened out, and as his body was lifted from the floor, it exposed a horrible bath of gore that appalled the stoutest heart. An inquest was held by Justice Barker this morning, at which Hattie Donnelly, M. Goldman, and Dr. Conley were examined, and the evidence adduced shows that Curley came up from Cheyenne two days ago, remaining in the house after his arrival continually. That deceased had slight quarrels, and that at seven o'clock last evening, Kitty borrowed money of the landlady and gave it to Curley, who was to depart on this morning's coach for Cheyenne. The two were engaged in a low conversation upstairs when Kitty uttered a scream, which was followed by two pistol shots. Officers and the doctor were summoned, and upon their arrival, the part went upstairs and found the bodies as described. The follow verdict was accordingly rendered by the jury. The said jury, upon their oaths, do say that the said Kitty Curley, otherwise known as Kitty Leroy, came to her death by pistol shot fired by the said Samuel R. Curley, with felonious intent and that immediately thereafter, the said Samuel R. Curley committed suicide with the same weapon by shooting himself through the head. As you know, I have a heavy metal band called Pit of Limbs. I think for my debut album, I'll call it <laughs> Bath of Gore. <laughs> <laughs> How is this a two-parter? It seems pretty cut and dry. There's more to come. I don't know. Mm, there's actually a mystery here. No, I don't think so. I just think it was a long article, and there's more, more to it. Oh, so. oh there's more like of the sordid uh, affair between uh, Miss Leroy and uh, Mr. Curly. Part two's all the gossip. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Thanks, John. <laughs> yes, thank you, John.
episode 15, New Money, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff, directed by Steve Schill, original air date March 20th, 2005. It is daytime, Al is on the floor of his office, not looking great, he's shaking in pain, clutching his nethers, also his piss pot has been knocked on its side. Downstairs, Tess wants to know when they're opening the gem, when me and Johnny fucking say so, now quit your hovering. Dan <laughs> confides to Johnny that Al has earned a sleeping in. That was really interesting that they don't open the gem unless Al is there to open it or something. You'd think he wouldn't want to stop the the progress of money flowing in. Yeah. I guess this they've never experienced this before, Al not being there. Yeah, I suppose. It's like when the boss is sick. It's like, do we work or we should work, right? But what should we do? <laughs> or maybe he just doesn't he just doesn't trust uh trust people to run things smoothly, so he's like might as well not open it all unless I'm there. <laughs> You wanted me to count the fucks this episode. We have three in this scene from Dan. Sweet. I did notice an uh, angry eye twitch in this episode. <laughs> I usually don't notice those, but Sai gave one later on. He's just full of rage. Yeah. <laughs> and possibly insanity. <laughs> what did you guys think of Al this episode being sidelined for, for much of it? It's pretty unusual since he's usually the uh, the character that has the most to say and do. Yeah. But it was interesting to see him in a vulnerable spot for once. Well, extremely vulnerable spot. He's been vulnerable before, but he's he was still a catalyst for a lot of stuff. I mean, you really learned a lot about um, Joni's feelings and and uh, you know everybody else. And I mean, the in the gem and stuff. I mean, they're really kind of lost without this guy. Yeah, it's interesting to see them operate without directions from him. See what they mm-hmm. do, what how the decisions they make. The ones they're they're willing to make without permission. Yeah, and who's willing to make it? Was Silas in this one? I don't remember. I don't think Not so. that I recall. No. Hmm. Probably out of town doing something. Maybe he's back to Yankton. Well, the stagecoach has arrived, and a very dapper gentleman climbs off. This is Mr. Wolcott, played by Garrett Dillahunt, as we've already discussed. He's arrived in camp to secure gold claims for his employer. E.B. will h- instruct his staff, Richardson, to see to Wolcott's luggage. Poor Richardson. <laughs> and then I liked Richardson throwing water out into the street. Like, it's not muddy enough. <laughs> He's ruining it further. Somebody, somebody around this point or before mentioned Farnham's Buffet, and I was like, what could possibly be in Farnham's Buffet? Well, we saw the menu later, which we can discuss. I don't think that was a buffet menu. No, but it was just a menu, and it was really interesting. I think there's bacon in the buffet, because I think we see... There's oatmeal. There's oatmeal and bacon. There's, like, lumpy oatmeal. Or clotted oatmeal, sorry. (laughs) Oatmeal that is two hours and 15 minutes old, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, we've seen a lot of this dining room and breakfast. I just want a close-up on the spread. <laughs> you, want, you want to see what's all there? Do they have a roast beef carving station? Yeah, do they have a heat lamp? You know? <laughs> do they have an omelet, uh, omelet yeah. bar? Yeah, a salad bar. Mm. Make your own sundae. Gross. <laughs> 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 they, uh, they enlarged this set for season two because it was so cramped during season one. Yeah. So the buffet probably got bigger, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now they can have a buffet. There's no room for one. Oh, oh, I see. Speaking of breakfast, we go over to the Bullock household. Seth regrets he lied about sending Martha that letter. She again expresses gratitude for what he's done for her and for her son. I got a little lost on on some of the stuff about the letters. Oh, yeah? And Yeah. And what he had... I mean, they they don't want to say anything flat out to each other, so 
Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm trying to remember exactly which letter was which and what. And I mean, it sounds well, the thing, it I think like, there was no letter. I think he just said that there well, there was a letter, but there wasn't. And then she pretended that there was when he told her that there was, but she knew there wasn't, but she just went along with it. But there was one uh, letter. Yeah, there was a letter about the house, but right. I think he's talking about the letter about Alma and all that. Yeah. And he made up that letter. Remember when they oh, met for the first yeah, time? Okay. And he says, oh, you remember okay. from my letters? This is Alma Garrett. Oh, yes, I remember that letter. And then she's Alma later says to Ellsworth, he never sent a letter. Now this is Seth admitting, I never sent that letter. He, I, he doesn't have to say that because obviously Martha knows. She went along with it. The lie agreed upon. Okay, so, but they're so being honest. Saying, okay, so I get it now. So what he's saying... Because I was thinking of the real letter, the one about the house. And that didn't make any sense for her to ignore because that was saying he wanted to be a good husband to her. But if he's talking about the letter that where he was saying, you remember I wrote you about Alma, and she was saying, yes, I remember that letter, and of course it never existed, that now he's saying that she should ignore the fact that he even brought Alma up, Alma's out of the picture. Yeah, he says, certain things I said yesterday I regret. I'll be grateful if you do not rely upon them. Representations I made as to letters I'd written, I didn't. She said, I'd be grateful if you would not rely that on my assurances that I got. Yeah, they talk in a very <laughs> roundabout way, but... Right. Sound everybody okay. in this episode was very flowery and Shakespearean. Yeah, there are some conversations I couldn't... I had trouble following, like Ellsworth and Alma, like, what the hell are you talking about? They'll, but we'll get to it later. I wonder if it's yeah. just this particular the way this particular writer writes, but everyone sounded way more fancy <laughs> than usual. <laughs> I think it, um, it the show just gradually gets more like this. Oh, <laughs> they've discovered well. that they like writing in this style, and we talked a lot about the language before we even started about how it how the profanity, the vulgarity exists side by side with very eloquent, flowery language and m- monologues like EBs at the end. A strange dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Farnham was really um, on his game as far as flower language goes, uh, to the point of being funny at points. But yeah. uh, I feel like yeah, he's okay. Flowery. Yeah, he's always spoken like that. But yeah. everybody else seems to be going in on it now too. Yeah, but he—it seemed like he took a step even further than he usually does. Over at Mister Farnham's absurd restaurant, Wolcott <laughs> remarks that the oatmeal looks old and clotted. And when E.B. admonishes Richardson, Richardson says, it's 45 minutes still until the three-hour mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Farnham likes oatmeal is what he's trying to say. I think Farnham's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Don't waste well, oatmeal. Why, but why would you wait three hours to feed someone oatmeal? Like, what's Is it just because you know people won't like it, so they'll just grab a little bit? It's wait three hours to change the oatmeal. Oh, yeah, the oatmeal's just been oatmeal. sitting there out on the buffet for two hours and 15 minutes. At the three-hour mark, then they'll add some fresh oatmeal. They'll add some to the pile. <laughs> so if they open for breakfast at 7 a.m., either go at 7 or go at 10, but don't go in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Wolcott says, I'll stick to these four or five pieces of bacon, and I guess that's his entire breakfast. But he, did you notice he smelled the bacon to make sure that it was okay? Well, we did hear that it was rancid at some point. Yes. They referred to it as rancid bacon. Yes. Uh. Why did you guys see the uh, pig had been eating? Yes. Made it smell that way. Maybe. Did you get... (laughs) People pig. (laughs) Maybe that is what it is. It's because the pig ate people that it smells weird. 
Um, did you guys notice the menu at all? No. Nope. Oh, well, it's, it had, like, a list of stuff. It had, like, and the prices next to it. Like, it just had, like, regular stuff like roast beef and... So maybe they do have a roast beef carving station. But, um, they had something called Tao's Lightning. Oh, didn't we talk about this before? Did we? Know. And it cost seven cents. <laughs> it's... Well, I, I just looked it up. And apparently it's, like, uh, it's liquor. It's alcohol di- distilled in the colony of New Mexico. Mm, it's like whiskey. But <laughs> apparently there's an alternate description, and it's also uh, known as Mountain Dew. So, <laughs> so I'm just picturing E.B. Farnham serving Mountain Dew <laughs> to people. <laughs> well, Mountain Dew used to be named for moonshine. Oh, okay. Well, then Tao's lightning must be moonshine. We talked about this back in way back in episode three. Well, geez, that's a long time ago, Matt. How much do you remember that? <laughs> Talos Lightning, a particularly spicy brand of wheat-based whiskey, originally concocted by Mountain Man Peg Leg Smith in 1824. I got this information uh, just now from mman.us. So mountainman.us. <laughs> <laughs> Also having breakfast, Maddie and Joni. Maddie observes that Evie is hovering over Wolcott's shoulder. I love, again, she calls him a creature. <laughs> she tells Joni that this man, Wolcott, is a trick, a specialist who will toy with Evie for as long as he finds amusing, then make a meal of him. She's full of tricks herself. She's very, she's very cunning. Yes. She's got a weird, uh, very, like, um, plastic face. Yes. You know what she's I got mean? A, she's got a John Bly face. Yes, it's very smooth. It's creeps me out. She's got like uh kind of like uh just black pits for eyes. Oh, okay. That's yeah, pretty she's hard, kinda, harsh. She's kind of <laughs> got uh eyes like uh what what's her name there? The girl that died. Oh, she's got fer- ferret eyes? Yes. <laughs> she's got beady little ferret eyes? Yeah. She could be related to ferret eyes. Oh. Yeah. I, have, I haven't eyes. listened to your last episodes or the last two, so oh, did y'all nice, talk Will. about... I'm sorry. I'm just so... I'm behind on everything. <laughs> I'll get caught up this week. But have y'all talked about, you know, other stuff that she's done? Alice Cridge? We yes. talked about that she was the board queen. Yes. <laughs> contact, but I don't know that's what else she's been in. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. She looks like a boy. Yeah, I'd queen. forgotten that. I love her in that movie. <laughs> That's one of our favorites. Yeah. She does do a great job. Uh, she, I mean, in this, she definitely comes across as someone who is not to be trifled with, to say the least, and could definitely be a, she could definitely be evil. <laughs> well, she's very cavalier about the girl that she has on ice, in quotes. Yeah, extremely. E.B. demands entry at the gym. He wants Dan and Johnny to summon Al, but they tell him Al is unsummonable, locked inside his office. So E.B. leaves them with a message. A fish to rival rival the fabled Leviathan has swum into our waters. Get well soon, and we will land the cocksucker together. Oh, you idiot, E.B. (laughs) I love this. He's very, uh, with the nautical metaphors this episode. Yeah, he really was. Maybe he's from a fishing family and he's he's pining uh, for the ocean. There was a lot of nautical novels written back then. <laughs> it was a big thing. I've been reading Moby Dick. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> um, but he's like out in the middle of nowhere near an ocean anywhere, so you'd think that but that's he would realize he'd be lost on most people. That's probably why it's so it's such a romantic idea to them, because it's you know so foreign, so they're just like, ooh, exotic uh, ocean stories. <laughs> ooh la la. 
But yeah, that letter was totally priceless. I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said something after this about newly arrived something. <laughs> what was yeah, yeah cunt. What was, cunt? What was he talking about? <laughs> Joni's friend that we Maddie. were just talking about. Okay. I I don't remember her name. Maddie. Maddie. Yeah. Maddie. That's who I assumed. Well, you know, it says in the the transcript, newly arrived cunt. It could be a single person, or it could be um could like be a plural. collective noun. <laughs> so I think it's the plural. I think it he means like that whole cart full of cunts that came in. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, cart- sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 they could be lovely people, <laughs> <laughs> and they probably are. But <laughs> yeah. Well, we did hear Al say, you know, who are these women that showed up? I don't know who they are. These telegraph Mm -hmm. poles. Remember, he was going through his list of things that were Mm -hmm. giving him worry. So he must have told E.B. to find out who those women are, and now E.B. has the news. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. There were three fucks in this scene, two from Johnny, one from Dan. That brings our total up to six. William is on the front stoop talking to a local yokel. (laughs) Brad would call him a herdahatta. (laughs) <laughs> this ginger's name is Damon, and he and his pa are headed to Oregon to grow apples, which bums William out because he thought he made a friend. Anyway, oh, there's a rainbow trout in that stream that goes by the name of Jumbo. <laughs> Seth comes outside. He can see that William is bummed not having any friends, so he tries to cheer him up by pointing that out that trout because it's just that thrilling. That's what he can do for the rest of the day. He can look at that trout. <laughs> uh, later on, they're going to make that trout pay for its slothful ways. <laughs> that was the I guess they're going to make it. They're going to kill it. Then what's William going to do for fun? I hope, yeah. I hope they eat it, though. I hope it's delicious. So William looks almost exactly like the kid from The Wizard. I don't know if you guys have seen The Wizard. No. No? Well, I put some yeah, pictures. The Wonderful Wizard remember. of Oz? No, The Wizard, the, vi- the, the video, video game, game movie. movie. Oh. With the, the what's his the face? Power Fred Savage? No, not the one with the power. Well, that's I mean, the one with Fred oh. Savage, isn't yeah. it? The kid who's like the prodigy, who's really good at video games. Oh, he's, he's just a, he's a white kid, a little white kid. <laughs> no, he makes the same expressions, the same pouty expressions. And oh. stuff. Okay. But I think we talked about this on intro to Briscoe about the proper way to pronounce Oregon. He, they said Oregon in the show, mm-hmm. and people around here get really pissy about how you how you say the name yes. of the state. Well, probably will. As soon as they arrived there, they got kicked out because they mispronounced it. So. <laughs> oh well. All that traveling for nothing. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. But it makes it makes sense that a kid in South Dakota who probably had been from somewhere else east wouldn't, you know, would be pronouncing it Oregon. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The actor who played Damon was named Damon Weber. His father was a friend of David Milch. The father contacted Milch and said, My son is a stage actor. He likes to try television, but he's dying from congenital heart disease. Milch said, Bring him out here. We'll write a part for him. What? Damon Weber died from post-transplant infection on March 30th, 2005, 10 days after this episode aired. He was 16 years old. What? Who's that? The the kid who was leaving? Yeah. He was 16? Holy crap. I'm going to read an excerpt from his obituary. Perhaps Damon's greatest gift was for friendship. He had many close, dear friends and tended each one with love and care. He kept his friends, who ranged in age from the very young to the old. He had deep wells of empathy and kindness and sensitivity, even for strangers. He also possessed insight and wisdom beyond his years. He was gregarious and hosted many large parties and sleepovers at his house, where everyone was always welcome, and he could be wicked.
wickedly funny with impeccable mimicry and timing. Damon had striking red hair, blue eyes, and pale skin. He was beautiful inside and out. He had a powerful moral force, purity of character, and integrity rare in this world. He will be mourned every moment of every day by his heartbroken father, Doran Weber, who tried desperately to save his adored firstborn son and flesh of his flesh, and by his grieving mother, Sheila Weber, who poured all her brave love and generous spirit into this amazing child. That is sad. What a downer. What a bad things happen to good people. <laughs> he had been in a lot of stage productions, too. I'm putting his entire obituary in the show notes. Thank you. At Alma's claim, a five-stamp mill is drilling into the ground. Ellsworth reckons her claim could support 25 of these mills, but she ought not purchase them until she has sorted the issues around uh, her owning the title. Oh, that's what the scene... <laughs> this was a scene I couldn't follow what they were talking about. Mm. Yeah, I I just... what I. I was saying, ooh, so there's still issues about her title. Yeah, there must be. It This kind of comes out of nowhere because this is the first we're hearing about it and so casually mentioned, but I'm guessing because she was a widow, perhaps the family is making some sort of claim to it. Yeah, I mean, it had been mentioned when, you know, last season, and that's one reason that Bola took on the whole thing to try and make sure that she was protected, but um, they haven't mentioned it lately. A five-stamp mill is used to crush quartz to particles the size of sand, releasing the gold from the quartz. Each stamp weighs 1,000 pounds and drops 8 inches 100 times per minute, for a total weight of 100,000 pounds per minute per stamp. She must be crazy rich right now. Mm. So she's the new money, even though she was old money. <laughs> well, her husband was old money. Yeah, Her husband was old money, but she's new money, and she's kind of flaunting it. You mm. know, She's through this episode. She... She definitely is feeling her oats. But I figured that the new money was, they were using it in a different way because um, this Wolcott who came in, its he's representing a great big ton of money and that's new to town. Is he really, so though? He, Isn't he lying about that? If Well, if he's lying about that, I mean, Maddie knew his connection with the guy. Now, unless... She's been fooled by him, but she seemed to have a pretty good handle on him. And she said that he worked for, um, what was the guy's name? Hearst. Was, uh, Wolcott works for George Hearst. Is he yeah, related to William Randolph? Hey. Yeah, George Hearst. Uh, let me give you some background on him. He was born in Missouri, September 3rd, 1820. Grew up on his family's farm, received little education. In fact, he's known to be only barely literate. But he had a gift for mining. When he was young, he bought a lead and copper mine, which generated enough income to pay off his family debts. Then he went west, and he struck rich by mining the Comstock Lode, which is a silver deposit underneath Nevada. He made millions on that because he owned the, uh, he had interest in both the largest and second largest deposit in the Comstock. Then he invested in the Ontario silver mine in Utah, which made him about $12 million over his lifetime. Then the Homestake gold mine in South Dakota, where he and his partners built the town of Leed. Later, he was a senator from California. His son was William Randolph Hearst, I was ask. the newspaper tycoon who inspired the film Citizen Kane. Mm, I was going to ask okay. that. I was wondering whether he was related. Has everyone seen Citizen Kane? Yes. Oh, yeah. Anyone been to the Hearst Castle in California? Yes. Twice. Yeah? How was it? Cool. Yeah, I'd it, like to it go. Really, it's amazing. You definitely should go to San Simeon. 
It's it's amazing. Where, where is his? Where is the summer home around here, Matt? I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. There's a summer home around here, apparently. Pretty, pretty sure. I don't know. Hearst Lodge. Hearst Lodge. Yeah. Is that really? Yeah, I don't know. Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. It's on a it's on a river. It's in Saint Martin's. I think they used to come here to fish or something. Mm. I forgot about that place. It is really nice in there. The castle is up up the Pacific Highway from Los Angeles. Um, I took my son when we went to California a couple years ago. The tours are not as extensive as they were the first time I went many years ago, but they're still they're still really good and uh, definitely worth going if you get a chance to. Miss Isringhausen and Sophia greet Seth at the hotel. Miss Isringhausen returns the pocket watch, which apparently Sophia was learning to tell time on. Seth tries to arrange a play date for William, but Miss Isringhausen says, Oh, Mrs. Garrett will have to sign off on that. Do we want to take bets on when we find out Miss Isringhausen's first name? <laughs> <laughs> Is she going to stick around? I think it's going to be Crevelornswap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if she's going to even stick around, but uh, from the sounds of it, you're saying she is? Mm. Mm. She'll only be given a first name when she has a love interest. That's true. You know, the interesting thing is that she tells Elma later, I don't have any other prospects, but, you know, there is this other kid in camp. Maybe he needs a tutor. Yeah, though they don't have the kind of money that um, Alma does. Yeah, Seth might. Hardware hardware business is booming. So you think she's going to get yeah. Seth? I don't know. Vengefully? Hmm. Hmm. Why do these two ladies hate each other? Yeah, so why do they hate each other so much? That's something that I just I wasn't sure where that came from. And I don't know if it's just because uh, Miss uh, Isringhausen kind of keeps like being like the acting like she's like morally superior to. Is she though? I don't. Know. I don't think maybe I, I was. I don't think Alma likes her harsh truths. <laughs> I think Alma's projecting. Maybe. Yeah, I got the feeling. Alma. I mean. Part of it is Alma right now is upset with the whole thing with um, Seth, and yes. she can't show it because that's not part of her culture. So you, you so. think she's taking it out on Isringhausen? I think so. Yeah, makes sense, I guess. Still re- not really nice. Oh, no, not nice, but... She doesn't deserve it, I don't think. Yeah, but that was the thing. People, People of her her class and so forth weren't really taught to be nice to the people that were in their employ. I guess, yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about Alma and Mrs. Isringhausen a, a bit later when we they have a, their big scene. Yeah, okay. I wanted to talk about it now. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying we're going we're gonna to revisit that. Okay. <laughs> As they walk along the thoroughfare, Maddie gives Wilcott's backstory. He is an employee of George Hurst, and he has a tendency to get cranky with his women, and sometimes his crankiness runs away with him. Fortunately, she is the girl he is interested in on ice. Yeah, I wonder what her game is on that, you know, of not having her there, of keeping him, like, waiting. I wonder what that... What she's well, hoping to gain. I thought that she kind of had in mind that Joni would be the one that was the girl on ice. Because when she said that she might die, because she seemed like she had a she had it in for Joni somehow later on. She was pissed at her for getting her to come over, and it wasn't a guarantee or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I think it's interesting that when Maddie says when he's disappointed, his crankiness runs away with him. Joni says, "What's going to disappoint him?" Maddie doesn't answer. Yeah, that's, like, all this mystery, that's what made me think that it was Joni that she wanted to get in on the game without Joni knowing. 
I didn't get that. I I just, I just, I just don't know yeah. what what's yeah I don't know what her yeah. end game is like I don't know what she's trying to do here. Uh, she's trying to get a lot of money. I know that, but yeah, she's manip she's she's manipulating the guy. She's yeah. also manipulating Joni to some degree, which is why Joni was not happy with her. Yeah, but I don't know that Joni was trying to manipulate her. I didn't get the feeling that Maddie was upset with Joni, just that Joni was upset with Maddie. Ma Maddie wasn't upset with Joni until the end when Joni stepped into and kind of stuck herself into Maddie's plot. Maybe. I, I just, yeah, whatever. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know what Maddie is up to exactly. Well, she's brought in a very dangerous gentleman, it seems, yeah. and, and he he does something to women mistreats them in some way and he's she's got a lady that he's gonna like on route i guess on ice <laughs> and like he, a Gino man a uh yeah unfrozen caveman lawyer <laughs> unfrozen cave woman <laughs> <laughs> but he also seemed to know her who seemed to be a specific person that he already was expecting to be there at the end there when he showed up i had thought that she just had a girl that she knew what appealed to him. But then when he came in, it was like he was expecting someone specific to be there. Yeah, yeah Carrie. Where's Carrie? Yeah. That's what he asks. E.B. shows Wilcott to his room and reveals that he is in possession of the final correspondence between Wild Bill Hickok and his wife. It may contain clues to a quartz deposit. Wilcott goes, oh, it's damp. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you want for it? E.B. says, no, no, no. I'll pay you $100 to deliver the letter. You give me a share of the findings, like the court's findings, say 10000 And Wilcott says, and I'll give you this money in advance. Oh, yeah. I would yes. actually fall for something like that. Uh, you didn't fall for it, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, E.B. tried it. Like, who does he think would actually have to be pretty... Uh, yeah, I, I know. I think a lot of these hoopleheads would, but they don't have the money. <laughs> EB me. is used to dealing with really stupid people. Yeah, I mean, I thought EB was really overplaying his hand, to say the least. Um, it's like, what kind of a just how stupid does somebody have to be to try that? You know, to do that one. Okay, maybe Johnny would fall for it if he had the money. And Leon, I could see them falling for it. Yeah. Ten thousand dollars—that's a lot just to hand over on the promise on the promise that this letter contains information on how to get more money. Like, okay, yeah, he should have lowered his price a little. But even it, then, like, why would you sell that letter? Like, it, it, if you were smart, you'd keep that letter and try to find the quartz yourself. Like, what's going on? True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just such an obvious. What a weird, you it's know. a weird, it's a super weird con. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such an obvious con and it's such a, you know, it, but of course this guy was looking for a way to snag EB and that was how, so. On the commentary, Milch said that back in episode nine, you remember the Irish chap who shat his pants and would hit his, hide his <laughs> pants underneath rocks? <laughs> Well, he gave that letter to E.B., and enough people were asking Milch about that letter that he finally wrote it back into the plot to oh, kind of tie oh. that particular thread. Wow. It was left hanging, yeah. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> Just came and went, whatever. We get some brief Saul Trixie flirting. Adorable. Mm. 
Seth reports that he, his wife, and adopted son are warm and cozy in the house that he built for them. Also, Al told them before they hit the mud that none of the county commissioners are from the hills. The camp has no representation. He thinks they ought to do something about it. Saul says, I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> so now they're getting into politics. I mean, they've already been in politics, but on a bigger scale. Milch said that he wanted to portray Seth as being happy about being back to the blessed ordinary of things, but he thinks this scene came across as Bullock looking smug and self-satisfied. <laughs> I didn't take it that way. I looked at Seth no. smiling and I thought, you know what? He's just, he's happy again. He's made peace with things. Yeah. That was fast. I got the feeling he was just, he was happy that Saul was okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that the two of them were kind of, back to business and and you know because it was it was tough right then i mean Saul could have died and so you know. is he is he over alma then oh i doubt that he's over over her but yeah It'd be hard to be happy if you're not over someone though but you can be happy for a few minutes i guess well i didn't get a a sense that seth was being smug or self-satisfied in this so no, i don't I know agree. why milch read that his own scene that way is kind of strange yeah mm. i i have seen various commentaries where um someone would say oh and you know i really wanted us to re- refilm that scene because i thought the actor uh, really projected what was going to happen, and they shouldn't. Have, and I was like, "No, that's what I always loved about that scene. They don't project what's going to happen. It makes you wonder why is he looking like that." And then you find out it was like perfectly played. And the the uh, the director, the producer, is saying, "Oh, I I wanted to refilm it, and be, but we just didn't have time." And it's like I'm glad you didn't refilm it. That was great. Yeah. When it's your own work, it's you know you're much harder on yourself. Then you will be on the other yeah. people, so that's probably what it is. It's just really hard on his pro- end product. Also, you you have seen it enough times that you don't see it like through eyes of someone who is seeing it for the first time and doesn't know what you were thinking and all of that. Here's a fun fact. Originally, Tim Blake Nelson was going to be Saul Star. Who's that? Wow. Tim Blake Nelson? Mm. Yeah, I know who that look, is. Look him up. He's been in lots of stuff. Okay. All right, if I get cut off, you'll know why. I think I best know him from <laughs> Old Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, he's, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, his face is familiar. I kind of recognize him. Uh, Look up uh, his IMDb there. Oops. Or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was the father, I think, in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I think that's who he was. Yep. Oh, yeah. Unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was in yeah. Fantastic Four 2015. I don't remember him in that. I haven't seen yet. Yeah, don't don't bother. I only saw it because it was free. <laughs> Milch also said that some Jewish group in New York, I think, claimed that he was an anti-Semite. So we chartered a plane to go out to the East Coast to give a talk about how he wasn't an anti-Semite. Uh-huh. What? And John Hawks was invited too, but then didn't go. <laughs> he said it was a strange thing to have to fly out to be yelled at for <laughs> some reason. <laughs> mm, that is kind but of. It was it was regards to the depiction of Saul Star. Oh really? What they have a problem with? I don't know. I tried to find information about this in an article or something. I couldn't find anything. It was a weird little thing that he just mentioned and then hmm. didn't didn't give any additional information. That's super weird. You know, there's always weird groups who will take offense at different things. You know, I mean, it may have been some of the anti-Semitic remarks made towards Saul. Those aren't his fault. That objecting to, but that's that's an indication of the time. Yeah. And that's to point out 
the way people are. I mean, here you've got this great guy, and he has to deal with this stupid stuff all the time. I wonder if that is a problem, though, making a uh, a period show where, you know, you have to represent the period as it is. Like, yeah. I wonder if some people don't understand that. Yeah. Like, they just get offended at everything that's said, but they don't realize that that's what it was like. Well, also, it's making a point about about that, you know? Yeah, well, and it's important to talk about it anyways, because it's important to exactly. realize this is how it was. Doesn't mean it was right, you know? Right. Now we know better, and, you know, we're better for it. Hopefully we can I mean, there forward. are people who assume that everything that you put on television, you're endorsing. Yeah. And it's like, no, sometimes the stuff that you put on television or in a movie, it's to show you what people are like and what life is like and for you to realize that that's not such a great thing. Yeah. I, I would have liked clarification on that story. Unfortunately, I couldn't think so. Yeah. Okay. Doc yells through Al's door, stop being a baby. <laughs> Trixie asks the Doc, is this from the fight with Bullock or is this more prick trouble? <laughs> Doc hopes maybe Trixie can find out. She tries talking to Al through the door, but he's not very communicative. He's still on the floor, writhing in pain. She'll be over at the hardware store. How? Why did it take them so long to bust that door down? If he's not responding, yeah, but if he's not responding, he was barely. Yeah, it wasn't really like I don't know. Ah. Because (laughs) Al has a pretty iron fist over everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, "Don't bother me," and. You know, generally you do what Al tells you to do. That's how you keep your job and you keep your life. And you know, exactly. He's made his employees so uh, afraid of him that when he tells them to leave them alone, and he shouldn't have, because as Trixie says later, he's ashamed of being sick. Yeah, they actually do leave him alone when they should have taken the initiative to get him help. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, Trixie tells Dan to brew her special tea for Al and make him drink it. If Al doesn't present himself in a couple hours, kick the door down. I like how she's the boss when he's not there. I know, it's pretty great. <laughs> mm-hmm. When she was talking through the door, she was talking about like the telephone poles and some other stuff, and she said, next leap of the creature, they'll be here. And I was trying to find out what that means, but I couldn't find out anything. Did you find lyrics to a Third Eye Blind song? That's what I found. <laughs> oh, a song that. called Summertime. Okay. Did they use the next leap of a creature in that? Yeah, they did. They said that. I couldn't find um, what that phrase meant or the origin of that phrase. I found some posts on different forums saying, I'm watching Deadwood right now, and Trixie says, next leap of the creature. Did anyone know what that means? And there's no response. <laughs> so Third Eye Blind, there was a uh, cocktail called Leap of the Creature. It says, thanks to the popularity of Mad Men, the drama set in the swinging 60s, scotch is back in style. So why not enhance the experience by sipping Don Draper's favorite drink with a millennial twist? Leap of the Creature, a cherry red enchantment of black grouse blended scotch, Cinzano Rosso, tea syrup, lemon, and burlesque bitters. Ooh, fancy. I don't remember Don Draper drinking that on Mad Men, but okay. Well, they said with a millennial twist, so I assume that they've just taken something and changed it entirely. Hmm. But I wonder why they call it Leap of the Creature. Yeah. It's a leap of the times. This makes no sense, but the creature, I I mean, when they would talk about, like, the devil or something like that, they had all different names for it and stuff. So, but, I mean, what, how would that be? EB's a creature, be... according to Maddie. <laughs> so maybe next time he jumps in the air, <laughs> that the telegraph poles appear. I just assumed it meant when the next batch of like people on horses arrive, like leap of a creature, like you know, when the next. I assumed it was you know right. in a short time 
Uh, just assume you know. people on horses, and when they get here, that'll be when. Maybe I took it too literally. I, I, I thought maybe it meant a step in human evolution. Well, maybe. The leap mm. of the creature. No, but in this it, case, it's the evolution of the camp. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you know, evolution had made it into slang terms yet. When pigs fly. Because I mean, when I was looking up leaps, all I kept seeing was an evolutionary leap. Mm. Yeah. When was uh, Origin of Species? 18-something. 18... Like, 1840s? 18- on the Origin of Species was published 24th of November, 1859. Oh, yeah? Okay. So it was probably common knowledge by then. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Would it have made it into the slang, you know, or into... It was... People were much more biblically involved than, you know... Yeah, but if it was... But, I mean... If it was in the... In short but why, you know? Why would it mean a short time? Yeah, but if it was if it was a thing at the time, like if it had just come out not that long ago, then people might be talking about it. If you have the answer, email us. Yeah, yes, if you know the answer to Leap of the Creature, let us know at hoopacast at gmail.com. Yes. Yes, please. It could have been an article in the front page of the Deadwood Pioneer that just said, humans evolve in big leaps. So Trixie, someone read that to Trixie because she probably can't read it herself. Maybe Saul read it to her. And uh, she's thinking, now she's using it in her everyday language yeah yeah from, from okay. context i think we know that it just means that they're gonna be here soon yeah yes okay i yeah. was going to ask elizabeth sarnoff what that means <laughs> oh do you talk to elizabeth sarnoff often no i'm just going to tweet her i wonder if this is her real account make sure you tell her that you're recording hooplecast right now <laughs> <laughs> trixie said fuck six times dan said fuck once that brings our total up to 13 I can't remember what my number was. We'll find out at the end. Yes, we'll do a review at the end. Wolcott makes his way into the Bella Union. He orders a Kentucky bourbon straight up. He doesn't pay for it. Mm. He invites Cy to take the air. As they walk, Wolcott, first name Francis, explains that Cy approached an organization in San Francisco for the purposes of bringing Chinese workers into the camp. Those workers have a pre-existing arrangement with George Hurst. Upon hearing the name, Cy's snarky attitude falls away. He has nothing but respect for Mr. Hurst. I like the whole the whole pretense. Well, not not a real pretense, but they're, they're kind of joking about going outside to, to have an illicit affair or something. Yes, <laughs> I was like, oh, they didn't kiss after the, after it was over. My my favorite bit was when Sai says, "Con Leon, come meet a fucking gentleman," and Wolcott goes, "I don't want to meet them." <laughs> 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 All right, go, go inside. Get away. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to meet them. <laughs> um, he's kind of amusing, as, as terrifying as I find him most of the time. I do find him kind of funny sometimes. One of the things they they always do in shows is if you want to make somebody come off as really terrifying and really, you know, seriously somebody to be careful of, they'll take the most terrifying person on the show and they'll make them scared of this person or make them outdo them somehow. So it was like, I'm watching Sai like, start groveling at this guy's feet just about. And it's like, okay, so here they've taken the scariest psychopath in the place, and they have him groveling, so you know that, okay, this guy has got some major juice behind him. We learn that Hurst found Sai forward-thinking, and he'd like to work with Sai and Deadwood, but only Sai. No one is to know that Hurst is involved with whatever is going to happen here. Who? <laughs> exactly. Sai <laughs> says fuck twice. That brings our total total to 15. In the jail, 
Charlie wakes Jane. He's brought her some water. Oh, get that away. <laughs> she wants to know if they've been arrested, but Charlie and Doc have explained this to her. Well, she doesn't remember. She's also been using Bill's coat as a blanket, and this really moves her, so she gives Charlie a sincere thank you. Okay, so now we have the the answer to, is there a jail in Deadwood? And But didn't he say that, that Charlie had a place for Jane over at the freight company? Which means the jail is in the freight company. That would Which be I guess my, yeah, that would be my assumption. And I didn't realize, of course, that the place he had set aside for Jane was a jail cell. Spare jail, jail cell. <laughs> a spare jail cell. The overflow jail cell, but still. Unless this is not the room that he had set aside for her and she was just drunk and so they put her here. Because remember, they went out drinking, apparently, after they had picked her up. She wanted to stop at the new joint across from Nuttall's. Yeah, but but they they did say that Doc already had told me all about it and stuff like that, which means, you know, the whole thing of, oh, Charlie's got a place for you set aside. So. And they probably would not have brought Bill's coat to the jail. So this, is, this no. has got to be where he set aside a spot for her. Yeah. Does that mean no one else can be put in that jail cell? <laughs> if it's also her bedroom? <laughs> yeah, it's overflow, so I guess I don't know how many jail cells they've got. Whether they figure they only need one and they've got two, or whether they've got a whole slew of them. We get four fucks from Jane and two from Charlie. That brings our running total to 21. (laughs) It's cool today, so Joni tells her girls to sit outside and spread their legs. Attract some business. Joni is upset Maddie didn't tell her about Wolcott. Maddie argues, wasn't there a chance that I got here only to find out that you had changed your mind, been killed, or moved on? The only guaranteed outcome in this life is to get fucked. No. She's bringing our total to 22. <laughs> she's, she's a glass half empty kind of person. So how do they know each other in the past, these two? We don't know. We don't know yet? Yeah, we don't know. Probably worked together before. But Cy didn't... Did Cy know Maddie? He did, yeah. right? Yeah. She may have worked for him before. Joni's been working for Cy for quite a long time. Yeah, since she was 14. She's working, yeah, since she was a kid. So the question is, did Maddie actually, like, work for Cy, or was she somebody they met on the riverboats who was working, you know, kind of next to them, you know, like, also, or what? Dueling riverboats? Rival traveling brothels, or whatever. At the hardware store, they're just about out of picks. Saul scolds himself for resupplying in too small quantities. As his father said on his deathbed in Vienna, buy in bulk to reduce your costs. <laughs> Seth smiles. <Smart. laughs> it's Seth's nice to see these guys getting along so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get the feeling that Seth is, is kind of, like, the relationship is kind of back to normal. He's enjoying it. Yeah, he's happy about things are getting back to normal. Yeah. Also, Al's not around to be a pain in his ass. <laughs> it's true. I don't even know if he's aware of Al's situation. Oh, he's probably just like, it's it's a nice day today. Why is it such a nice day today? <laughs> and then someone says, oh, Al's, Al's uh, locked in his office. Oh, that's why it's a nice day today. <laughs> yeah, there's this part well, later on where everybody can hear Al screaming about the Bullocks are having dinner and <laughs> they're like oblivious to everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah. Seth is like music to my ears. <laughs> Well, by that point, if they're, I mean, I get the feeling that the house is pretty far away from yeah. from the center of town there, or what, uh, you know, whatever. So. 
It's at least at the edge of town. Or thought you could still yeah. hear it faintly screaming though. Yeah, though they oh, had wait. the windows. Do you think when they're eating dinner, they're eating jumbo? Yes. Oh, that'd be so awesome. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they call it jumbo. And- Why do you hate jumbo, Will? I don't know. He's a nuisance. <laughs> we get one fuck from Saul. That brings us to 23. Oh. You were saying, Mel? Jumbo, I cut you off? Jumbo, jumbo has slothful ways. Therefore, he must be destroyed. <laughs> fuck you, Jumbo. Fuck you, Doing your slothful ways. That's right. <laughs> As they spear him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is the thing, you know, Moby Dick is the thing right now in this town, and, you know, they're going to spear him like a Moby Dick. He's the Moby Dick of Deadwood, <laughs> telling you. And uh, the little little William is Captain Ahab. Yep. <laughs> Wolcott has brought EB an envelope stuffed with cash. He's decided to purchase that Hickok letter. Jewel is pleading at Al's door, let me in, I need to empty your piss pot. <laughs> no, you I don't. You really don't. I love her. <laughs> Jewel screams at Dan, break this door down! <laughs> I love how she, she was screaming everything, like screaming, yes. you know, um, if if I don't empty it now, you're going to get mad at me later and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's almost like she's in charge when Trixie's not there. <laughs> love it. I meant to say earlier when you were talking about how Trixie kind of became the authority in Al's absence, do you think it's because she's been spending so much time outside of the gem that she's kind of broken from Al's influence and therefore she can think more, you know, independently? Whereas Dan and Jenny are still under Al's thumb? Maybe. Well, you would think if she hadn't been spending as much time there, that would make her less of the of their crowd. It would make them less enfranchised towards her. I don't know. Part of it is a relationship with Al. And part of it is that, uh, I think she's... Which is what now? It's nothing right now, really. They're like, you know, he, they're not together, sort of, you know. Yeah, but she... She still she cares will... for him. Yeah, she does. And they still yeah. care for each other, but they're just not really together right now. Right, but she still takes care of things. And I think, I think part of it is just that when somebody is good at knowing what to do and knowing what the boss's mind would be. Mm. People get used to the idea that that person knows what's going on and pays attention to them. She's still still Al's mean hoe. (laughs) She she knows Al. You know, she... And she can get away with stuff with Al. Which is another thing. I find it really funny when Dan and Johnny run up the stairs. There's a guy coming down with a whore, and Johnny kind of, like, shoves him aside on the stairs. Like, we got to get up right now! <laughs> yeah. Like, like 10 extra seconds is going to make a difference at this point. No, it's because Jules on them. If it was anybody else, they'd be taking their time. It's following Jules' orders. Yeah. yeah. She's yes, the Knock this door down! And they sprint <laughs> up They sprint up the stairs. Dan is a dummy. He tries to knock the door down with his shoulder. Stupid! <laughs> Stupid. Kick it down. Mm. Use your shoulder. I love when he kicks it, it just, the whole thing just falls in. <laughs> what if it mm. fell down on top of Al? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then his bladder exploded. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the door falls in, the door falls in on top of Al, then they all rush in, stepping on him. <laughs> and then, then that's when his bladder explodes. Oh. Aww. Yeah, they all run in. Where is he? I don't see him. And then you hear this, like, popping noise. (laughs) (laughs) A muff pop. (laughs) Well, they find Al on the floor whimpering. Johnny is appalled by the state of him. Yeah, he looks like he's 
you know, just about gone. Yeah, it doesn't look too good. No. One fuck from Doc, two from Dan, six from Jewel. <laughs> oh. oh, Jewel. Bringing us to 32. Go, Jewel. I think we're all going to be low. I can't remember what we all said, but... Over at Farnham Slophouse, Seth and Charlie are reviewing letters. One citizen from Arapahoe County says, Keep up on that Stackpole case. I'm sure he's still out there. Seth and Charlie shrug the what? The who? So Charlie puts the letter in the fucked case file underneath his hat. <laughs> Anybody know what that's supposed to be about? The Stackpole case? Yeah. Do we know that already? Or No, I don't think it's a anything. Okay. Unless it's, I don't know, maybe it's something from real life and it's in the... Uh, they're just pulling it out, you know. If I did some research, maybe I could find the Stackpole case, but I'm guessing it's just a made-up thing where they're like, what? <laughs> the, the Stackpole case? Three fucks from Charlie. We're at 35 now. Damn. Alma and Ellsworth are riding back into camp. She'd like to buy the hotel, renovate it, make it her residence, mostly for the pleasure of seeing Farnham thrown into the thoroughfare. <laughs> Ellsworth basically scolds her for her pettiness, but you know what? She is pissed off. He concedes that, yeah, you've come by it honest. And if you need a nose to punch, I volunteer mine. No. Yeah. When they go inside, there are some lingering looks between Alma and Seth. Mm. I don't like this dress that Alma's wearing. I there's too much volume in the rear. <laughs> <laughs> that was called the bustle. It was the style at the time. I liked her uh, very slimming uh, red dress from episode one of the season. Her dresses are getting fancier. And the more stylish, because, you know, that big bustle instead of the the little more conservative one. I like big bustles, and I cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to isolate that audio. <laughs> I do like that she wants to fuck with Farnham, even though I don't necessarily condone that in real life. No, yeah. in real life, you shouldn't do it. But in I mean, it's case- petty, but... Yeah. <sighs> I kind of, but Farnham is just so despicable that, yeah, I you feel can't, like... <laughs> you can't buy it without him agreeing to it. And if oh, he, she could trick him out of it. If he got a bunch of money for his hotel, he'd still be well off. Mm. Right. Yeah, she could go up to him and say, I've got this letter that leads you to a gold claim. <laughs> <laughs> if you give me your hotel now, I'll let you have the letter. <laughs> you can you can put your sweaty palm on my boob if I... Uh, <laughs> I'll let you do that if... <laughs> sure, you a damn feel for... <laughs> She can hustle him at cards yeah. until he bets the deed to the hotel. Well, I asked you last episode if you thought she was going to be in that hotel forever, and Matt said she should buy the hotel. Ah. <laughs> it hasn't happened, so no points for me. But, but she's thinking about she's it. She's thinking about it. Mm. She wants to give me points. <laughs> <laughs> Trixie walks into the hardware store. She asks if Saul will teach her accounts. He can take it out and cunt if he'd like. He says he won't teach her if she keeps that up. Well, fuck you then. I wish I was a tree. What? <laughs> I don't know. I think he, I think she's like, she just wishes that she wasn't a woman. Maybe. Or wasn't a prostitute or whatever. I think she's just on edge with everything going on. And I think she's just frustrated with, yeah, frustrated with her situation and just everything. Yeah. Kind of tired of people wanting her to do stuff their way. Yeah. I like that Saul is trying to get Trixie to understand that she's better than she thinks of herself, but <laughs> I don't quite like him setting terms. Like, I'm not going to teach you things if you talk like this. Well, 
That's how she talks. Like, yeah. Don't try to don't stop trying to change her too much too fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna deprive her of education and bettering herself because you want her to be what more ladylike. He he just wants her to think more of herself. I know. Can you can read it as that, or you can read it as he's trying to make her into something more uh, conventional. Like, conventional. Yeah. No, yeah. I just read it as he he wants her to have more self worth. And I read it as he wants her to stop pulling the relationship down to that too that physical level yeah yeah but he didn't say that he said i'm not going to teach you right. if you and that conditional you know element right makes it makes it kind of controlling whereas and, he could have just said i i want you to think better of yourself i wish you wouldn't say things like that or something yeah yeah versus, i wish you wouldn't keep saying stuff like that about you know yeah but he, I mean, he seemed surprised when she acted that way, reacted that way. And I'm guessing that he's used to that kind of, I mean, in a way, that's usually how you talk to kids and stuff. And there was that very paternalistic, you know, view of the relationship between, you know, men and women. And uh, he seems surprised because, you know, she's feeling like a person. And, you know, stop talking to me like that. Yeah. I do like that she's trying to better herself, though. Yeah. 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 Later on uh, in the scene with Jane, she'll say, men are always setting terms. Mm-hmm. So this this really got to her. Got to me, too. I completely agree with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. This ultimatum that he gives her, it's comes from a good place, but it's badly <laughs> presented. Uh, four yeah. fucks from Trixie, we're at 39. <laughs> and he could have actually been jo- trying to joke a little bit, you know, and... It could have been like a, almost like teasing while at the same time kind of meaning it. But he obviously got a different reaction than he expected. Wolcott is disappointed in the letter that he bought from EB. Yeah, sure he is. Yeah. Yeah. EB takes him to the gem saloon. Uh, Take your hand off my shoulder. EB wants Wolcott to consider this letter a lesson. He's seen men, men like Brom Garrett, seek redress for their mistakes only to meet violent ends. Wilcott confides he purchased the letter on his employer's behalf. Ah, E.B. says, perhaps they should draft a second letter and impart this cautionary lesson onto Wilcott's employer. Wilcott reveals that his employer is George Hurst. E.B. is like, oh, well, he needs to learn no lessons from me. I've miscalculated. I'm very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Second time when somebody basically shit their pants when George Hurst was mentioned. Yep. We're getting a picture of George Hurst and just how powerful he is. Hmm. Who's going to show up first, George Hurst or the Pinkertons? They're both like specters hanging over everything. (laughs) Not to mention that George Hurst could hire the Pinkertons in a second. Yeah. That's true. But I like that Wilcott uses this letter. Like, I bought this letter on behalf of George Hurst, and now it turns out it's bogus, and now you know how he's going to react, that you try to take advantage of him. Therefore, you should do something for him. Okay, E.B. says, what can I do? You can circulate rumors that the claims are invalid. This is the scene also yeah. where where EB talks about uh, an ancient Italian maxim, correct? Yeah, that yes. was he says, of... but he says Italium. He <laughs> also never actually says what it is. No, I know, and I was wondering what it was, but Italium. <laughs> I was wondering if he was going to do some kind of real, really uh, fractured Latin or or something like that. Oh, but... That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, I was I was waiting for the really fractured Latin. Mm-hmm. Or some other kind of, uh, some other language entirely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and Wolcott says something about being shit out of luck and Farnham was like, did they speak that way then? I thought, was that some kind of reference to 
this show or something or how they mm. how they say like fuck or whatever. Good point. Yeah, that's what I, I was actually wondering that too. I wasn't sure if that was the thing that said back. Self referential. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Originally, we learned this on the commentary. Originally, Wolcott was to be observing the titty liquor in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But Milch said that the person playing the titty liquor wasn't up to doing whatever they had written for him because he was basically an extra and not actually an actor. Oh, he wasn't uh. up for titty licking? Come on. <laughs> Come on. How hard is it to lick titties? Yeah, Come on. Probably right. incredibly fun. This <laughs> stretches acting muscles, I guess. Couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, he was tired of being a one-note character. <laughs> Why do I always have to be the titty licker? I've been God. typecast as the titty licker in every production I've been a part of. <laughs> He's like, I can lick other things. <laughs> <laughs> I can lick stamps. I, can... <laughs> I don't have to just lick titties. I can lick other body parts. I'm always being typecast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, next thing he'll be in will be uh, someone will try to help him out. He'll be the belly button licker. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the navel liquor. The navel liquor. He's on an accelerated licking program. <laughs> the navel liquor also sounds like someone who licks ships. <laughs> <laughs> licks the barnacles right off of them. <laughs> we get one fuck from Wolcott and one from EB. That brings us to 41. Damn. At the Bella Union, Sai has assembled the troops. Time for another monologue. He wants everyone to know he's not going anywhere. If anyone is uncertain of this, they can step the fuck up. Collect their two weeks severance, huh? Step the fuck up. Step up. No one steps up. Okay, then. Let's open our doors. What are we waiting for? Come on. Somebody should have stepped up and they should have had a dance off. (laughs) 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 Who's going to step up? (laughs) I will. I'll step up if you step off. (laughs) Step up to the streets. (laughs) You get nine fucks from Psy. We're at 50. I don't think any of us guessed that high. <laughs> Doc has a scary-looking metal instrument that he's going to insert into Al's penis up to oh. the bladder. Oh. If he can hear it click against the stones over Al's screams, he will know the cause of the obstruction. Then he'll make an incision above the pubis to remove the stones. So were you guys in, all in pain during this yeah. scene? <laughs> just curious. Mm. Yeah. No? It's not pleasant to think about. No. I tried not to picture it. <laughs> That looks I like an awfully did. thick piece of metal. Yeah, it was pretty you. Milch called this a sound, but I believe it's called a lithotome, a curved blade with a spring-loaded handle that removes bladder stones. Mm. You can read all about it in this uh, article I found called Old-Timey Surgical Instruments oh. That Were Worse Than Death. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Is that a cracked article? <laughs> Uh, like modernman.com. <laughs> just sounds like a crack title. <laughs> it seems to me like sometime in the past when I've been in history exhibits and so forth and, you know, wandering around, I saw something like that and just sort of was like, I don't want to think about this and tried to block it from my memory. But it seems like I saw one of those in some kind of exhibit sometime. Mm. It kind of was scary. disturbing. Yeah. The most disturbing one of on this article is the penis bear trap. <laughs> okay, I have to what? <laughs> that sounds kinky. A clip attached to a ring at the base of the penis. So if you're unlucky enough to have a wet dream, the jagged edges would greet your little soldier with a love tap. No! Oh, wow. Oh, that's terrible. What what they went through to obstruct natural functions. I know. It's just awful. <laughs> 
people were crazy. I guess they still kind of are, but oh yeah. Yeah, follow the link. Sweet. <laughs> Ooh. You'll find the lithotome on page two and the penis bear trap on page three. The artificial leech is kind of scary looking too. It looks like a pepper mill. <laughs> like a dangerous pepper mill. Ugh. Yeah, that instrument is so scary. Most of these are penis related. Uh-huh. I love the écraseur. It's like basically French for the smasher. <laughs> oh, a hemorrhoid remover. <laughs> so you're smushing the hemorrhoids? What? There's also a death metal band from Philadelphia named Lithotome. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. You could name your death metal band, Mel, uh, Acrazia. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> uh, these are so gross. <laughs> oh, my God, the skull saw. All right, moving on. Yeah. We got one fuck from Trixie. We're at 51. Khan and Leon go into Sai's office, which was 90% Leon's idea, by the way. Leon has a question. What's going on, Mr. T? Sai sighs. I may have heard a rumor that titles to the gold claims are going to be invalidated, but if anyone starts to panic, you send them to me, because I'll buy that title. I have that much faith in the camp. So, if you're lost, this is what's going on. He's trying to sow doubt amongst people in the camp that the gold claims are worthless. He's trying to spread this rumor, just as um, Wilcott wants EB to do. Spread rumors that the gold claims are, are worthless because the titles are going to be overturned and... If you have any doubts, you better sell now. Sell, sell while you can. And sell them to Cy. Because Cy is going to give them over to George Hurst, apparently. Right. And he... Yeah, at first I really didn't know what he was uh, what he was doing. Like, what is he talking about? And then I realized, oh, he's... And I think I made a note here. You know, first I was like, why is Cy... Oh, did anybody else notice that he's wearing short, like, either short pants or rolled up pants? Yes! Yes! What was that about? <laughs> I don't. I thought it was capris. We're in clam diggers. <laughs> but I think it's just his boots are flesh colored, like the rim of the boots. So you think that's what it is. I think because so, I think I saw him again later, and it looked like he was wearing just like the boots. But yeah, it looked like boots that were rolled down. Maybe I. I don't know. I don't know. It was just a few flashes, but it was like, yeah. are his pants rolled up, or is he wearing short pants, or what? Because I thought at first that it was like an elastic uh, pant leg that was like raised up so you could see the bottom half of his leg. Yeah. Cool. And then my next note is why is Sai acting like this? Is it part of the same plan as with Farnham? And then yes, he claims claims being invalidated so they can buy up the claims cheap. So he, yeah, at first I was totally confused and then it was like, oh, he's acting as though he's heard rumors that aren't going around camp yet, really, but He's acting like he's heard these rumors and he knows everybody else has and and he's just putting this in their head that, you know, that this is going around camp. It's a tricky line to walk, though, because he's got to make people uneasy and want to sell. At the same time, they're going to wonder why Sai would buy them then if they're... That's why he keeps saying that I believe in this camp. You want to yeah. sell? I'll buy them because I believe in it, you know? Yeah, he's trying to make himself kind of look like a chump. Right. <laughs> So, so that they won't question why why this guy would actually buy these then. Yeah, it's the equivalent of the, like, USA, USA, you know, that so, kind of thing. Are Sai and this new guy in the camp working together, or they just both want the same thing by happenstance? They're working together. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They had that whole thing in the street. Yeah, I just... Yeah, but why why Sai? Like, why pick Sai? Because he sent that thing about the Chinese 
to, he reached out to the Tong to, um, he has some kind of plot about Chinatown, which we, we've known since the beginning of season, he showed up. He mentioned Chinatown right away. And so he reached out to the Tong, and Hearst has a, has a, uh, connection with the Tong. So the Tong got in touch with Hearst told him about it, and Hearst was impressed with Sai, or so he said. So this guy is actually working for Hearst. He's not lying. Wolcott? I yeah. assume so, because Maddie, Maddie knew that he was... I thought anti- it was all a lie. That's why That's why it's so confusing. Also, Wolcott knew about Sai's um, reaching out to the Tong, so, I mean, everything fits that Wolcott really is working for Hearst. Oh, it's so confusing. Like, is is it for real or no? Like... Is the reason why you're confused because they're using the same actor? No, the reason that I'm confused is because they made it seem like this was all a ploy to just get money so that he was pretending to know Hearst and he would just bring the name up. That's what I thought. He was just bringing Hearst's name up because he knew what people would do when they heard his name. Hmm. But yep. Maddie said that he he would worked for Hearst. So there's a third option. Um, Wolcott may be working for Hearst. Maybe he's not. Maybe he, maybe he is, but not in an approved capacity. If he's, if he's not working for Hearst, which, you know, is always a possibility, that means Maddie is in on whatever's going on. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, I thought she was in on it. It's also a possibility. But it also means that he found out about size reaching out to the tongue somehow. So he's got a connection to the Chinese Tong in San Francisco. I don't know. It's confusing. Uh, they set him up as a character who arrives in advance of George Hurst to do scouting. So, at least for now, that's how I'm going to take it. Yeah. That it's that who he says he is is who he is. Even if he's who he says he is, there's a lot of wheels within wheels going on. Yeah, and that's probably... But yeah, I mean, Maddie gives us his backstory... Says, Mr. W is a chief lookout for George Hearst that struck big in the Comstock in Mexico. And she seems like someone who's in the know about stuff. She pays attention. And he offered on one of my girls to bring her out here. So he he knew Maddie and he was coming out here and therefore he said, you, know, you bring that girl out with you. Right. I like her. So that's the girl Carrie that she's keeping on ice for a reason we can't figure out yet. We should define Tong, by the way. Secret society or fraternal organization, especially of Chinese in the United States, formerly notorious for gang warfare. Mm. Or the Oxford Dictionary definition, a Chinese association or secret society in the U.S. frequently associated with underworld criminal activity. I think, I heard, I think we heard of them on the, the Briscoe show. I think they were mentioned. There was a lot of Chinese stuff in that. They were mentioned in a number of TV shows, but I don't remember which ones. Five fucks from Psy, two from Khan, one from Leon. We're at 59. Trixie and Jane are outside drinking. Trixie is venting about the men in her life while Jane struggles to keep up with this mostly one-sided conversation. Trixie says, Al is a cocksucker who is ashamed to be sick. Don't buy his line about keeping Jewel around in case a hooplehead only has nine cents for a piece of pussy. He keeps Jewel around to protect her. Jane concedes perhaps Al does have a good side to him. Trixie then says, Even men with their dicks cut on, which I think means circumcised, meaning Jews, are manipulative. You have to like their friends or they won't teach you numbers. (laughs) And Jane is basically cowed by her drunken ramblings and says, Well, nice to see ya. (laughs) It was the first time I have down that it was the first time that uh, 
I saw Jane try and do small talk. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is, is it the first time we've seen her where she wasn't drunk? She was. Well, she was still drinking pretty well. I mean, she yeah. wasn't sloppy drunk, but I'm sure she was kind of drunk. I put down in my notes that she is the Charlie in this situation, and Trixie's the Jane. <laughs> <laughs> now she knows what it's like to be on the other side of somebody who is ranting and drunk. That's yeah. right. So why does she hate Seth? It was because he uh, opened his mouth last season, or... Jane hates Seth? No, no. Uh, Trixie. Uh, Trixie. Yeah, Trixie. Um, he, she was upset with him for a number of things from the last episode, especially. Uh, she, uh, going back. Yeah, she w- let's see. She was upset with him. She felt he was selfish. She was upset with him for getting in, into a fight with Al. Basically for not appreciating uh, Saul. Saul, Saul yeah. For getting Saul... Um, for getting him shot. <laughs> for getting him shot, uh-huh. For putting him in a position where he was um, where he was in danger. And I'm trying to think whether she... There might be some other stuff, too, but she thinks he's he's selfish and... And, uh, and a hothead and... Yeah. Kind of sick of, she's kind of sick of these guys, these types of guys. Right, right. He makes things worse from her point of view. And, uh... Now, I thought it was interesting when she was talking about, um, Saul, uh, that she, she acts as though what Saul was objecting to was talking about Seth, negatively about Seth, but then she says, and other stuff. And part of me was like, okay, is she misinterpreting that when he said, I won't teach you if you keep talking like that, that it was, he was talking about saying stuff, negative stuff about Seth, or did she understand exactly what he was talking about and is just kind of putting it under other things? You know? I, th- I think she's rolling it all into one. Yeah. Because there's a big difference there between, you know, if you keep talking badly about my friend, I won't teach you, rather than if you keep acting as though our relationship is all about sex, then, you know, I'm. There's a big difference between the two. Well, he says. You know, he offers to show her the accounts, and she says, I'll pay you, or you can take it out and cunt. And that's when he says, I won't teach you if you keep that up. Right. So I think it's pretty clear right. that when she thought he was setting terms, it was because of the language and, mm-hmm. and all that, and not right how her feelings towards Seth. But she's phrasing it to Jane as though he want, you know, he's setting terms in case she, because she doesn't like Seth, because she's talking about Seth. But then, as I say, she does say and other things right well i mean she's very drunk at this point and i'm guessing not all of her thoughts are connecting in quite the right way mm-hmm. which is why jane is trying to follow like orphanage cripple like who are we talking about like yeah. what's happening oh it's a nice cool evening today <laughs> nice to yeah. see you bye <laughs> yeah she started talking about the weather i was just like oh wow that's <laughs> new for jane Jane is being out drunk. Yeah. She just obviously doesn't want to deal with any personal issues that, whatever, that uh, Saul is kind of alluding to. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well. He actually wants a relationship with her, and I'm not sure that she has ever actually had that. And, I mean, it is one of those like things. A loving, you mean like a true loving relationship? Yeah. yeah. He wants, you know, an affectionate relationship with her. He wants to be, you know... Held care about her and her care about him and that's a very if somebody hasn't had something like that that's a very vulnerable 
position. And, and if she keeps, I mean, somebody like that, it's very common that they use, they, they pull it down to what they know, you know, and he's trying to, he's unsettling her by trying to make it into something different and make her talk about it in a way that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't put it on terms that she's comfortable with. This is all very foreign to her, and she's waiting yeah. for the bottom to fall out on this scenario. Like any second, any yeah. second, he's gonna he's gonna realize that she's not worth you know worthwhile or worthy of him, and then she's gonna have to go back to her other life. And she's just like waiting for the inevitable crash, so she yeah. has to protect herself. Yeah, which he's is very sad. Very sad. He's asking a lot of her. I mean, she's had to put up with a really pretty awful existence, and she's she's made a you know, she's figured out a way to deal with that, and now he's chipping away at it, or trying to. She also probably doesn't like Seth because she feels, and this this may not be how Seth feels, but this is how she thinks Seth feels. When he walks in and sees them, he's thinking, why is my friend Saul, who is so smart and has so much money and is such a good person, why is he with this woman? Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if she, because his normal way of acting is kind of stiff. I could see her projecting that he is being disapproving and so forth. Yeah, so so she's preemptively judging him. Mm-hmm. I would I would think so. Well, we get five fucks from Jane and ten from tr- ten, a whopping ten from Trixie. That brings us up to seventy-four. <laughs> wow. It is nighttime. Alma wants to revisit the topping of Miss Isringhausen returning the time beast to Seth. Miss Isringhausen says maybe we ought not to talk about this in front of Sophia. Alma gets very angry. She thinks Miss Isringhausen enjoys setting terms, playing arbiter of the when and why of things, and consistently generates an atmosphere of disapproval. You're fired. She could have been in the discussion with Jane and Trixie down on the street. Mm-hmm. She could have been joined the bitch fest. Yeah, pretty much exactly what they'd just been talking about. Yeah. So Alma says, get out of here. Mrs. Isringhausen leaves, and then as she's leaving, Alma remarks, you know, you never show any affection towards my child. Mrs. <laughs> Isringhausen says, well, I was taught not to, that affection is the mother's province. And Alma says, you know, as logical as that may be, it's not human. You are a cold fucking fish, Mrs. Ringhausen. She really wants no, her to, like, feel bad. I'm not liking Alma the, the, the last little while. Mm. Yeah, She's... I wrote down, Alma does not come off great in this scene. No. No. She hasn't had sex in, like, two days, man. <laughs> She's grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's she told Ellsworth, "I am pissed off." <laughs> she's not on laudanum anymore. She's not on sex anymore. She's, <laughs> she's not on Seth. Yeah, <laughs> she's not on top of him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a tough time, and and she, you know, she has never liked having you know people set terms for her either but she hasn't been able to do anything about it but she can do something about this woman she can maybe she's power mad now she's got all this power and she just like is you know taking full advantage of it and just making people feel horrible about themselves Mm -hmm. yeah but does she have power I mean, she doesn't have she has power over Mrs. Uh, Miss yeah she has she has power over her but it's like she has money, but not really. Like she's got the claim, but she doesn't have the titles all sorted, so she doesn't quite have that yet. She just well, lost Seth. That's probably why it's so frustrating, and that's probably why she's taking it all. Mm-hmm. One she per- lives in a hotel. One yeah. person she can take it out on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now we haven't seen a lot of Mrs. Ringhausen one on one with Sophia, but maybe she is too cold and unaffectionate. Hmm. 
I think she was just picking on her. Yeah. And the funny thing is, of course, not being from that culture and part of that culture, Alma doesn't exactly look warm and fuzzy most of the time. No. So when you're talking about showing affection and so forth, um, the two of them look like they're cut out of the same cloth to an outside eye, at least to some degree. I read this quote earlier in the in one of our earlier podcasts, but I'm going to read it again. This is from Molly Parker. Alma is full of contradictions. The part of her that is a junkie is compulsive and obsessive and critical, self-righteous and mean. She's also quite a compassionate soul. She's a bad person trying to be good. If she follows her impulses, they would lead her every time into destruction. And I remember at the time, you, you guys said, well, I don't really see that, that she's following impulses and it's leading to destruction. Mm-hmm. But so perhaps I should have saved that for now because you can see she does tend to make these impulsive decisions in fact even Miss Isringhausen said is it possible you're making so many decisions so quickly that you're making a bad one mm-hmm. yeah yeah and Elma's like you know what whatever just get out <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. oh, she's pissed off right now she doesn't want to hear right. we learned from Lila that Sai's pep talks have created feelings of unease downstairs this is good news for Sai soon people will be selling him their titles if he was a child he'd think God loves him Lila says he totally does. I pray for you every night. Oh, shut oh. up, stupid. <laughs> shut your fucking mouth and turn over. <laughs> this is where Sai did his eye twitch. <laughs> really? As soon as she mentioned praying for him, he twitched. Well, after he tell her to roll over, they like do a close-up on his face, and you see his eye twitch just a little bit. Amazing. <laughs> that was that was the moment when God tried to love him, and Sai pushed him away. <laughs> oh. That's I <eyeball>. fall. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, it does not surprise me that Sai um, does not have a close personal relationship with the Lord. <laughs> really? Uh. <laughs> but uh, if you know, if you are, let's say, I don't want to say that Sai is an atheist because I just think he's immoral and he doesn't give any thought to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But when you tell someone who doesn't believe in God that I'm praying for you, it's really insulting. Mm-hmm. Don't don't do it. <laughs> it can also right. be really disturbing for someone who does believe in God and who knows that they are like like doing really awful uh, things. Ashamed. Yeah. I mean if Yeah. It, yeah, but he said the thing he's he goes, If I was a child I'd I'd believe in God or something. He's he's being flippant here. Mm-hmm. But I just saying in general Telling somebody who doesn't believe in God or isn't sure that you're praying for them, yeah, it's not a thing you should say to someone because it sounds uh, patronizing. Yes. And that's when Sai gets really angry. He's just like, you know what? I'm done talking to you right now. It does usually always come from a place of like, I think it doesn't come from a bad place. They, they mean well, but, you know, it's still, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that girl totally meant well, but... Yeah. Oh, she meant well, but it comes but, off yeah, as being it does. Uh, insulting or does. naive and foolish. And Sai's just like, I don't have any use for you right now if you're going to talk like this. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever other use that she normally has for him. It's like you say, oh, I hate this movie. And then the person you're talking with starts talking more about the movie, you know, or so- something like that. It's like you hate this one thing and the person's like, oh, they're pushing it on you. Mm-hmm. You must love it. You have to love this. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> we get two fucks from Psy. We're at 676. Gee. 76. I think we're going to the, reach the uh, 100 mark. I think we're going to lapse your predictions like twice over. <laughs> the ladies of the Shazami are perfecting their postures as Mr. <laughs> w comes in. 
He fancels Basil's bourbon, which is hidden under the floorboards. I want to remind everyone that Basil Hayden's is the unofficial whiskey of Hooplecast, and this is why. <laughs> Where's my? Uh, I need some. So, what's so special about that that bourbon? Uh, I guess it's just an older, older bourbon. Been around a while. I mean, does it still exist? Yeah, yeah, you can buy it. Cool. Doesn't cost very much. I can buy it online. No, probably not here. Did you guys talk about Fiona Durif last week? Or? Yes. Yes. Okay. Never mind. Who's <laughs> that? Was she still in this scene too? Yeah, she is. Fiona, the Brad Durif's daughter. She plays one of the new whores. Oh, right, right, right. Does she play Atlantis or another one? <laughs> Atlantis. <laughs> What's her name, Atlantis? I don't know. Look it up, Matt. Basil Hayden, eight year, cost $39.99 at uh, Arizona Total Wine. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, 40 bucks for bourbon. Not cheap, but not expensive. What size bottle? 750 milliliter. Okay. Mr. W is looking for Carrie, but sadly she's been detained in Cheyenne for a matter of days. Joni isn't for sale, but she offers to fuck Mr. W for free. He refuses, because he always pays for pussy. Well, Joni says, maybe I'll let you twist my arm. Will you pay extra for that? <laughs> she escorts him to the bedroom. Well, he says, do, do, un, do unhand me. I don't like being touched. I don't like being touched. <laughs> so what's what's her plan I, I kind of like how witty she was with him, though, this whole scene. Mm. Just like, you know. Yeah, I have in my notes. What is she up to? Who knows? And what's his particular kink? Does he have one? Does he hang up from upside down from the rafters like a bat? <laughs> like like Al said that he was going to do? <laughs> I found out, by the way, that Fiona Dorf's uh, character's name is Shazami Whore. Oh. She was born for that job. Her parents gave her the <laughs> 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 She's like, Shazami, that's my name. Hire me. Yeah, my last name is also Whore. <laughs> now, Maddie seems a bit perturbed by, uh, by the way Joni sticks her oar in here. Um, and then, of course, the fact that she's armed when she goes in. You know, Maddie does not want this guy dead. Okay, now, on the commentary, Milch was saying, people who have been sexually abused, or who abuse people sexually, kind of recognize in each other this kind of past. And that Wolcott and Joni, as soon as they met were instantly at odds, and they left their comfort zones, whereas Joni's kind of uh, meek and Wolcott's, you know, uh, restrained, and they kind of clash almost instantly and provoke each other in a way that they normally wouldn't do. And that's what's happening here. By the end, though, I really, you know, after everything was resolved, my note is Joni really does know how to deal with violent men. Well, she lived with Sai for how many years? Exactly. That's what that's what hit me. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot who we were dealing with here. I mean, she doesn't seem like she's going in the, the route you would normally take, you know, being careful with this guy and everything. But in the end, she, you know, she she does know how to deal with these guys. Maybe it's just one of these situations where you have to face it head on. Don't be meek. Yeah. Don't be mild. Otherwise, he's going to take advantage of you and hurt you. Therefore, you you better bring your A game. I think yeah. she would have been. She would have went into it scared. Like she was obviously super confident. So yeah, if you go into it scared, they're obviously going to be like, ah, there's my target. You know, they're easy pickings right there. At, at the same time, he, she asked, you know. Can I do this? Can I approach you right. this way? Can I touch this? Like he, she asked permission for everything. She deferred to him, showed him respect, but did it in a way where it made it very clear that he can't 
get away with anything. Mm. Yeah. yeah, she she was both confident and submissive at the same time, and almost making the submissiveness part of a sexual game. I don't even know if it was submissive so much of it as it was, I'm here to do a job and I'm going to do it. And if this is this what you're looking for? Is this what you're looking for? Are you looking for this? You know, mm. she was trying, just trying to do her job. I don't think there was any kind of submissiveness there. Well, yes, yeah, I agree with you. Submissive may have been the wrong word, but there was more to it than that as well. It wasn't a cold. I'm doing a job. It was a, you know, it was a seductive. I'm doing a job. Well, yeah, you know, but that's her job to be seductive, though. Right. Right. Yeah. It was a very seductive, you know, I'm going to do what you want, and it's going to be, you know. I really like Joni this scene, though, particularly just, yeah, I like the way she handled it. Mm-hmm. Why does he want anyone to touch him? <laughs> Maybe he's well, a germaphobe. Was he he's abused? A, he was a free, he's a freak of some sort. You know, he didn't even want to look at that one whore who was, like, in the background, like, by the bar. He's like, I get out of my vision. I don't even want to look at you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got some he, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I liked how they, at the beginning of the episode, the way he was introduced and everything else, you know, he was, he was all business and he was, you know, there really wasn't any indication that he was, what he was like per se, until, until the business was pretty much over and he had gotten Farnham where he wanted him. And then it started with the hat. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is weird. And then it continued with, um, with Maddie and Joni. I know I've, I've heard when people can't reconcile certain aspects of their personalities, like maybe their sexuality with the rest of them, they lash out in certain ways. Mm. Like you, you hear about how like repressed people who are like sexually repressed people are the ones who, then you find out, oh, they're, ha- they have the secret Ashley Madison account or they have oh, a, yes. <laughs> They have the sex scandal in the background. They're the ones in the airport bathroom stalls. It's no one who's ever open and honest about it. It's it's right. always the hypocrites, and mm-hmm. that's who Wolcott is. He's like he's one person during the day and another person at night, mm-hmm. and he's like extreme in both cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no balance in, within him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about in a, in a previous in a previous episode we talked about Al wanting to open a brothel in like England catering to specialists exclusive and he'd operate from the corner hanging upside down like a bat. <laughs> the Chez Ami is all about specialists. Yeah. They're so high end they cater to people like Wolcott and then you get them in. Yes, they pay a lot but look how much handling they have to have to you have to have. But would the titty liquor be welcome there? Your friend the titty liquor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean it is a specialty. Yep. He requires I feel extra like it's a very simple specialty though. Attention. Well, he requires he rent out the entire establishment for like twenty seconds. Yes, <laughs> that is a lot of money. But is he rich? He has, I don't to, think rent, he's... he has to rent all of the whores at once. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. He has to line them up. They may give us some kind of special. <laughs> Sorry, Will. What? Oh, so they probably they may give us some kind of special because all he's doing is just a quick break and go. <laughs> so, so, so the whole rent is that how you say it? though? rent out the whores? Do you rent them out? I don't, I don't know. know. You hire them. You like hire out the entire establishment. Mm-hmm. How much would that cost? Yeah, I don't know. That's fine. I, I just want there to be a scene where the titty liquor comes into the Shazami and they give him like a, a sheet like that has like check one of these boxes if this is your kink. And he goes like down the list and he's like, Oh, there's no one for titty licking and they're like, <laughs> Well, sorry. It's, it's under the other box, Matt. 
they, they have to create a new like a uh, sexual like, escapade. I want there to be like fifty boxes, and there's not one for titty licking. And now he has any any oh, and he oh. leaves. So sad. No, oh. that's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. There's no box for titty licking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get two fox from Joni, one from Wilka, one from Maddie, one from Atlantis. We're at 81 now. Atlantis, the whore. Atlantis. Well, we get a monologue from EB. Turbulence is forthcoming. Upheaval, churning seas, waves of scale and force, surgings of storm and crashing descents. We are all pawns of the savage sea, playthings of the fucking deep. No placid harbors for us. Do you understand, Richardson? No. Grr, the claims are being overturned. Now go. But tell no one about the claims. <laughs> and Richardson does this little jog that I just find hilarious. I love Richardson's delight. Mm-hmm. Maybe Evie is the one that needs to go uh, fish for Jumbo. What do you mean? Well, because of all the sea metaphors. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> he's, he's got it in for Jumbo. He hates Jumbo, too. The whole town hates Jumbo. <laughs> Damn Jumbo. Did you guys like this monologue? I did. I did. Well, I like all of his monologues. Yeah, he's I like monologues. Yeah, he is. I I thought it was a little much. I was, well, he's I, always a little much, though. What what is he getting to? And then when he got to the invalid claims, I was like, oh, is that what? It is? <laughs> well, he's always like trying to be overly fancy, and then he backs up and kind of explains himself. That's what I enjoy about them. <laughs> also, he says, "Do you understand, Richardson?" And I'm like, I barely understand. <laughs> <laughs> My feeling was like, how is he going to, once he, I realized what it was that he was talking about, it was like, how does he think that Richardson's brain hasn't turned off long before you get to the point? That's the teacher in me, I guess. <laughs> it's like, this yes, guy's not going to retain what you want him to retain. You want him to go out and tell people that the claims are going to be invalid. And <laughs> what he's going to say is, E.B. was saying something about the ocean. <laughs> I, maybe we're going to have a flood. Well, I think he's trying to be, he, well, he's trying to be subtle. Like, he wants Richardson to go out and say, EB's like, he's like, something's going on. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. EB's finally like, the claims are being overturned. Now go tell everyone. But don't tell anyone. But tell everyone. <laughs> tell no one about the claims. Tell them. Don't tell them. Yeah, he's not quite as good at it as Sai is. Hey, it worked. Yeah, one fuck from EB, so we're at 82 now. Uh-oh. Do you think we're going to hit 100? <laughs> Let me think. The next scene. Mm-hmm. Almost done. Well, we're in one of the bedrooms of the Shazami. Joni and Mr. W are still clothed. He finally tells her to unbutton his shirt. Don't look at my face. <laughs> As she complies, she proposes hazarding the buttons further down, but he refuses. Shall she unbutton her own clothes? When he doesn't answer, she says, I'll take that as a yes, until he says, no, take it as a no. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> have, you guys, have you guys all seen Blue Velvet? <laughs> no, I haven't. Nope. Oh, yeah, I have, but it was a long time ago. He reminds me of Frank a little bit. Does he? Yeah. Don't you fucking look at me! <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't she indicating not that she was going to take her clothes off, but that she was going to masturbate for him? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Into it. Here, diddling myself. I love that. I love her. Ah, <laughs> uh, nuts. Nuts. <laughs> nuts. And when she says nuts, he's he laughs. He's amused by this. And yep. he promises to bring her stories of the world of men. And he admires her for coming armed. Aww. <laughs> so how much of a misogynist is this guy? Oh. <laughs> Probably a lot. but As I, much as anybody else. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are. Town. Yeah. Yeah. But more so because he likes, apparently, from what... Uh, 
Maddie has said he likes to hurt women, so. Mm. Admittedly, he might like to hurt everybody, and mm. women might just be a lot easier, but. Well, he has these lines like, I, uh, I'll bring you stories of the world of men, and what else does he say? What a, what an amusing mind you have, like. It's so almost like, pa- it's more patronizing. Yeah. Um, more patronizing language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for him, I mean, at the time, stories of the world of men or whatever would be of, you know, the, the outside exciting world of power. Because that was a man's world, not a woman's world at the time. This is a man's world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Joni has a really awesome comeback to that line of his, which is my quote, if Will doesn't take it first. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I have that one. At the gem, Doc apologizes to Al for how much this is about to hurt. Dan holds Al down. Everyone in the street below can hear his screams. Trixie yells at Johnny to go back inside and help. Doc has located some stones in Al's bladder. He wants Al to try to urinate while he moves the stones. <laughs> There's a lot of screaming, but eventually some urine does come out with the blood. It's something, anyway. Uh, doubt that's barely enough to make any difference. Well, at least it would relieve some pr- pressure in the bladder. Barely. So that he could probably operate on it a bit better. Maybe. I can assume that all that pressure in the bladder might be bad for... Mm. You'd have to I, empty it out some. I thought he was only going to operate if he couldn't couldn't do something with what he was doing, the manipulation he was doing. Well, he probably figured that he had to operate. Just, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but oh, and I'm not going to try to figure this out right now because, you know, I don't know what his process is, but I, I, trust, I trust that his process is accurate and that he's doing the best he can. I was just trying to remember his, um, his conversation with Joni about it. I mean, with Trixie about it. I keep saying Joni for both of them. Uh, Trixie. Blondes all look the same to some people. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Matt? Shh. (laughs) Quite a few blondes in my family. (laughs) Well, now that he's located the stones and bought himself a little bit of time relieving that pressure, now he'll do the surgery. Has he said that? He said he was going to use the instrument to locate the stones. If he could could hear the clicking against the instrument, then he was going to do a surgery uh, incision above the pubis. It didn't come come out on their own. That's what he said, right? If the stones when he did that, then he would have to operate. He says, I'm going to pass this instrument through his penis into his bladder. If he has stones, it will click against the metal instrument. Assuming I can hear the clicks above his screams, I will have identified the cause of the obstruction. Trixie says, to what end? Doc says, to the end that I think he will die otherwise of cutting him open above the pubis and taking out the stones. Trixie says, which will probably kill him anyways. What shall I say to you, Trixie, that I'm sure of a happy outcome for Al and every one of us? Mm-hmm. Get, get out of here with your complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. He always does. Yep. What the co- poor guy wouldn't get for, you know, modern hygiene and medicine. Four fucks from Trixie, three from the doc, one from Dan, one from Johnny, bringing our grand total to 91. <gasps> Almost oh, 100. Oh, so close. So who do you think had the most? Uh, Is it Cy? Cy had 18, but Trixie had 25. Ah, okay. Yeah, Trixie was pretty upset all the way through this episode. All right, so here's some fun data. 
Breaking down the episode into 10-minute segments, minutes 40 through 49 contain the most fucks, 26. Minutes 10 through 19 contain the least fucks, only one. The FPM, or fucks per minute, was 1.57. Total number of cocksuckers this episode was 8. The ratio of fucks to cocksuckers was 11.4 to 1. Whoa. Currently, the cumulative amount of fucks in the series is 1,099, Whoa. with an FPM of 1.32. So far, the episode with the most amount of fucks was episode 10, Mr. Wu, at 133 fucks, and the episode with the least amount of fucks was episode 4, Here Was a Man, at a Poultry, 26 fucks. Oh, <laughs> season 1 averaged 69.3 fucks per episode. The FPM for season 1 was 1.23, so that's more than one per minute. The total number of times I said fuck while reciting this data, including just then when I said fuck and just now when I said fuck is 14. <laughs> Did I include the last one too? Yes. I think if Al had been up and running around, I think there would have been more cocksuckers said. Mm-hmm. He does say a cocksucker a lot. That's one That's thing. true. Yes. That's a good point. Yeah. I think he's the one who also says hoopleheads the most. Yes. Yes. Does it feel like there is more than one fuck per minute? No. No. Um... <laughs> Carol, <Sometimes>. yes. <laughs> well, I mean, because you, they usually have a tendency to be grouped, mm-hmm. so you'll get like you know twelve in a minute, and then you won't right. have anything for a while. Right. Maybe so, they open into one. Yeah, like minutes ten through nineteen, there was only one. Yeah, but then then they'll just go, you know. What? Yeah, and you get a Trixie scene, and then you get. <laughs> yeah. Then they go up. Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so your predictions. Matt predicted 32. Well, then he tried changing it to 24. Then I made him say 32. Mel predicted 45. Carol predicted 50. So if we're going to the closest, well, we'll go with Carol then. She was so far off. (laughs) Hey, I'll take it when I can get it. I never never win these things. (laughs) You know, you've gotten the last two, Matt, by default, uh, so you're in no position to uh, contest these But at least I'm closer than that. And I'm always on your side on giving you those points, no, Matt. So, okay. so, so remember this for next time. Yeah, right. really. You could have it. So it's going to be played that way, is it? Oh, no, you could have it. <laughs> oh, you can have it. How generous of you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it was my point, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> it was meant to be mine. <laughs> Let's see. Carol predicted that Joni is the new money and gets her whorehouse up and running. Uh, second part's true. A new player in town. Yes, that's true. Someone who makes money off of gold we haven't seen yet. Not sort true. of, yes. Well, Wolcott makes his money off of gold. Oh, that's that's true. Oh, okay, I'll take it. And you also said that someone throws their money around trying to join high society. Mm. Uh, you, got a, you got a couple there. Yeah. Matt predicted that Ellsworth will strike it rich and enroll in Elma's charm school. <laughs> <laughs> Mel predicted that it, new money refers to a new type of currency, dogs. <laughs> 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 also, someone moves to Deadwood and starts a brothel slash chicken restaurant, and we'll see whores eating fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we see this? Oh, that'd be so uh, delightful. No, no, but just like, you know, like that it comes with the posing. You know, when they have to spread their leg just a little bit more, they also have to be eating the fried chicken just so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the best part of your corrections is when Mel or when Matt reads them the next time we record and w- brings them all flooding back because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Being surprised by them all over again. 
I and I have to go through like all these different like tangents to find like an actual prediction and then rephrase it so that I can say it. I yeah. apologize. In, in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always makes me clear. laugh. <laughs> it's not super clear though. <laughs> well, we have some feedback. The first one's a letter from Harold. Matt, why don't you read this one? Hey Harold. Hey Harold. Hey. Hello, hello. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Well, that is something you don't usually see on television. I myself suffer from kidney stones and have had three serious incidents in the last 20 months. Wow. Sorry, Harold. (laughs) Last time it happened, they had a surgery time scheduled for me when, thankfully, the stone passed. I would have had more... I would have had a more modern version of what Doc did to Al. Mother of God. (laughs) While Al is out of sorts, Mr. Walcott has come to town as an emissary for George Hurst. I think EB is correct that Al... That had Al been well, he would have been very interested in this new character's arrival. wonder how much EB can mess up in Al's absence. Although we didn't see it, I would have to assume that Tolliver is also working with Walcott to spread panic amongst the uh, prospectors. It's hard to believe that he decided to spread rumors that the claims might be invalidated at the same time that Walcott was working on doing the same thing. Uh, so, well, I guess they were uh, working together. They had an agreement, I guess, huh? Um... What about Alma? What has EB done to her to cause her to daydream about casting him out into the street, besides just being nosy and annoying? That's true. (laughs) Uh, And wasn't she very curt and abrupt when she fired Mrs. Earinghausen? Is she upset over the end of her affair with Bullock, or is this just her personality? Or is she aggravated about something else? Uh, I do remember that in the first season, Farnham was trying to spy on her for Al. True. And undermine her getting better. Getting off the laudanum, so that's something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, steal the claim, too, and all that stuff. And he was mm-hmm. in on, you know, all that other thing, so. My interpretation of the breakfast scene with Bullock and Martha is that they have now consummated their marriage, and he seemed agreeable to having a real marriage with her. But then again, he was also hanging around the hotel waiting for Alma to show up. Which one is it, Seth? Mm-hmm. Why is Trixie interested in learning bookkeeping? Is she going to get a day job? I give this 7 out of 10 slothful fish. Trixie's got to be interested in learning bookkeeping because she sees that Al is not going to be around forever. Mm. And she wants to take over. Or maybe she wants to pull a uh, Joni and start a brothel of her own. <laughs> how many brothels can this place support? A lot. Don't don't underestimate how many brothels Deadwood can support. <laughs> yeah. Men have needs. <laughs> <laughs> needs. But, but there should be a brothel that opens up called Needs. <laughs> Men have needs. <laughs> yeah, it should be called Men Have Needs. <laughs> Men Have Needs, too. <laughs> Mel, why don't you read this one? Sure. This is from Emily. Okay. Hey, fellow Hoopleheads, Emily here. Just a few quick notes. Matt's threat worked on me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> something, something worked. I, th- I, th- I threatened to have everyone murdered who did not send in feedback. By me. Yes, I volunteered you. Hey, who... Oh, and I get to find out at the end of this who I get to kill. (laughs) 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 Alright. Ew, don't eat the bacon. Yeah, don't eat it. (laughs) Just curious. Do I legitimately like Al now, or am I just being manipulated because he is so sick? On a related note, I love modern medicine so much. I have two little girls right now with fevers and sore throats, and I give them Advil and their little eyes brighten up and they smile again. The timing just gave me some extra appreciation. I can see that. 
Trixie was brilliant! So, about Selma, I'm totally feeling bad for those two. But a weird part of me is kind of digging Seth's sense of duty and decency. Interested to see where that goes, although I do see a lot of awkwardness in their future, and it totally, it totally blowing up in everyone's faces at some point. Let the good times roll. <laughs> I feel like the new guy in town plot left me more confused than anything else. Perhaps I need to watch it a few more times, or listen to you guys explain it to me on the podcast. Obviously, he's going to rock Deadwood's boats. Boats. <laughs> more, boats. more nautical stuff. Yep. Boats. Yes. <laughs> Got the nautic- nautical. Um... The nautical bug. The nautical metaphor bug. Yeah, they're going to be caught out in a storm at sea. I give this episode nine out of ten dead bodies converted to bacon. I was totally glued to the screen with this one. Last episode, I found myself checking the time more than once. Me too. But part of one, part one of a lie ag- agreed upon had me wrapped. Me too. Okay. Shh. But I'm totally watching the next one right now. But I promise there. Uh, wait, wait, what? I promise to. Oh, okay, sorry. I pr- <laughs> sorry. We'll wait. We'll wait. Take your time. <laughs> it's the bloodlust. You you can't wait to impale someone on those wait. antlers. I can't wait to kill people. <gasps> okay. <laughs> <laughs> she says. <laughs> okay, sh- but I'm totally watching the next one right now, but I promise to stop there to keep my newbie status intact. That counts, right? Question mark. Emily in the Utah Territories. I would say it counts. Emily, I'm very sad that I don't get to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, last email is from Nutty. Nutty. Nutty Nuchas. Oh, another one? Another you don't get to kill. Yes! Carol, would you read this one, please? Sure. Okay. Mr. W is a scary son of a bitch, for sure. The quiet types are always the scariest. George Hurst is a big contender, that's for sure. Remembering from history, at least. Love the scene between Trixie and Jane. Jane tries to be, to be cheer her up, tries to be sympathetic, and for the first time feels like Charlie. Mm-hmm. Trixie wanting to learn accounting is awesome. Saul is cute, and I just loved him this whole episode. Al was gross and scary, and damn, I feel his pain. I think everyone sympathized with him in that situation. I don't even think I'd wish that on Cy. Nuchas, host producer of Nutty Bites. Yeah, shouldn't wish that on anyone. No, I agree with her on, like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that scene between Trixie and Jane, too. Yeah, that was some, my favorite scene of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I am putting a link in the Skype chat for Mel to click on. Pick a random name. Put some names down here. These are Let's put names of people who have guested in the past who did not send in feedback. First ah. is Stephanie. Okay. Uh, let's see. We got feedback from Nutty, Harold, Corey. I know you listen, and you're in the group, Corey. Okay. Robin. Yeah. Caitlin. Mm. Oh, no, not Caitlin. Ina. Okay. I know you I know you post uh, quotes from Jim Beaver, but still. <laughs> and how about Jonathan Pope? Because uh he's been catching up and he I think he could have sent in feedback for this one and he didn't, so uh let's put Jonathan on there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> so I pick a random name? Yeah, you just click the button. It's Corey. <laughs> okay, oh, Corey. 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 He lives closest too. <laughs> yeah, we can we drive, could drive over there in like three hours. <laughs> Go get him, Mel. <laughs> Twelve point him on those antlers. Yeah. I'm gonna pack my bags tonight. <laughs> and Corey will never know when it's actually going to happen. No, I know. <laughs> I, I I pack my bags tonight, but I could be leaving at any time. So you That's know, right. Corey. 
Better watch your this back. This is recorded before you heard it. She could be there now. I could be there right <laughs> now. I could be watching you in your window out from outside, you know. Or I could be inside. I could be a hider in the house. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nice knowing you, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice, but... You should have sent in feedback, dude. Yeah, you should have. Maybe if I don't kill you before next time we record, maybe if you send feedback then... <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe I'll forgive you. Yeah, maybe you'll buy and yourself that, some time. And that goes for everyone else too. If you know, if they decide to send in feedback, I might decide to forgive them. <laughs> you guys, come on, get to it. Please don't call the FBI on us for you all. <laughs> There's no evidence, so I. Besides this, <laughs> <laughs> besides this podcast. <laughs> There won't be a corpse either, because after she impales you, she's going to feed you to pigs. That's right. <laughs> and, this and, then, podcast... and then eat you for breakfast the next day. It's the perfect crime. Yes, and this podcast is only on a first-name basis, so they, they can't tell. They can't tell. <laughs> oh. Will, why don't you rate this episode? I love just... Whoa, why am I talking about... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I love just about everything about this episode. Maybe except that one scene I didn't understand. And I had to watch the first three episodes back to back to back this weekend. And I really enjoy where the story is going. Good to see Mr. Dillahunt back. Thought Joni was great. Felt bad for Al, but I thought he did a great job in those scenes. Just everything was great. So I'll give this episode nine out of ten. Mother of God. <laughs> for me, this episode was kind of like getting back together with an old fling you haven't seen in a while. Since <laughs> I hadn't listened to the podcast in a while, I hadn't seen the show since the finale. And just getting back into that routine and everything going, just like you remembered it. Aww. Aww. <laughs> I like that. Just being back with old friends. Yeah. Oh, I'm well, glad to have you back. Yeah. Yay. I'm glad that you were here, because if you hadn't sent in feedback, you would have been on that list. <laughs> <laughs> if you never find me. Going <laughs> hiding. Yes. <laughs> Carol, why don't you rate this episode? All right. Um, I really like this episode. Um, not not like oh, it's perfect, but I really did like the episode. A lot was happening. Um, we saw a different side of uh Jane. We saw uh some more depth of what Trixie is feeling, and uh, and they really went all out with making Al just. Oh, look like death warmed over. Um, and in, in general, it just, it gave us a lot more dimension to things and, and I really liked it. So I will give it nine out of ten bombastic speeches to spread false rumors. Nice. Matt. Uh, I liked it just fine as well, but I really did miss Al's antics, his regular antics, but what he's going through is interesting, but it just makes it, you know, it makes it so we don't get much of him. Um, I liked the, the doc got to do some actual doctoring, which mm-hmm. I was hoping for mm-hmm. since the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was, we haven't seen if Al's gonna survive, so I was wondering since the beginning of this series, you know, if he was actually gonna save anyone's life with these archaic <laughs> tools. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, good to see Garrett Dillahunt back. I'm not sure what I think of his character yet though. Um, I liked it just okay. I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10. Bone dry piss pots. So sad. <laughs> Mel. <laughs> uh, I I liked it better than last time. It was less confusing. There's still some confusing things, like the whole plot with like Joni and Maddie and all this stuff is a little bit confusing. 
But I guess we'll have to wait and see where it goes. Um, and yeah, the whole sigh, like, trying to, like, get people all paranoid and selling off their claims was a little bit weird, too. But yeah, we'll just see where that goes, I guess. Um, so yeah, I liked it alright. I'm gonna give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, ancient Italium Maxims. <laughs> Italium. Italium. <laughs> uh, I went back and forth if I liked this one the same as last episode or less, because I miss Al. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I really respect that they're trying to do an episode without him, because it creates a whole different feel when he's not around. Mm-hmm. I liked the Jane Trixie scene quite a lot. I liked Trixie throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And Joni throughout the whole thing. And and even Alma, though she was pissy, she was still good. This was a good female character driven episode. Yeah. And yet we also had a lot of E B who's been kind of kept on the sidelines for a while. Mm-hmm. He had that great monologue with his uh, ocean metaphors. Mm-hmm. That was great. R- good Richardson. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, the more I think about it, the more I liked all the little pieces of it. And meeting Wolcott, too, who was fascinating. So I'm going to give this one the same as last week. 8.5 out of 10 uh, metal instruments inserted into the urethra. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, our highest of the season so far, we averaged out. So Ooh. good. Okay. Good, good. How about a character of the week, Will? Uh, you know, I wanted to give it to either Joni or Jane, even though we didn't really see much of Jane. So I'm going to give it to Joni. Not Joni, I'm Trixie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Any particular reason why Trixie? Just because she is a badass, especially that scene that she had with um with Jane. Yeah, she is a badass. Mm-hmm. Okay, Carol. I'm going with Trixie as well. Um, She... You know, she's really coming into her own more and more. And the, the way they, the way she obviously cares about Al and, but also, you know, has this thing with Saul and she's just, she's complicated. And, uh, and I thought the actress did a beautiful job and, um, and yeah, you really got a lot of Trixie in this and I thought she did a great job. Cool. Matt. Can I give it to Jumbo? <laughs> Not <really>. No. <laughs> that was the name of the fish, wasn't it? Yes. 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 Uh, I'm going to give it to Jewel, because she, she's a badass ordering dinner. <laughs> bring the store now, Dad! <laughs> <laughs> I get out of the way! So she talks! Cool. Mel. Uh, I, I do like Jewel in this episode, but I'm going to give it to Joni, because I just... Even though that whole storyline kind of confused me a little bit, I really like the scene between uh, her and uh, Wolcott. I really like that scene. And I yep. thought she did a good job. So yeah, give it to Joni. I'm also going to give it to Joni for the same reason. I love how she handled Wolcott. Mm-hmm. She took a tense situation and diffused it. And she was just... Just the way that she handled herself was remarkable. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Joni. That's right. Yay! Yay! The ladies swept the whole episode. Look at that. Two for Trixie, two for Joni, one for Jewel. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. It was very it was very much a uh, female heavy episode. I almost gave it to Doc because he did some doctoring, but I think I've given it to him a few times in the past. Yeah, I have too. But I, mm-hmm. I, I just really like his character, so Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, Will Guest Right say you get the first quote. Oh. Don't take my quote. Ha Uh my first quote is even in an eating like this, wrongs sometimes occur. That was Saul, I think. Ah. Carol. Al, if you're not dead and already moldering, I send news to revive you. 
A fish to rival the fabled Leviathan has swum into our waters. Get well soon and we'll land the cocksucker together. Your friend, <laughs> E.B. <laughs> Wonderful. Matt. Uh... Dan, you need to be my daughter! <laughs> 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 she was barely intelligent. And then, and then he's like, Dan's like, now? <laughs> Mel? Richardson, goddamn you, the oatmeal is clotted. <laughs> um, mine is between Wolcott and Joni. What a tiny corner of operation for such an amusing mind. I'll promise as I sojourn here to bring you stories of the world of men. I'll just be in my girl's world diddling myself. <laughs> Uh, I do. I pray for you every night. All right, so time to shut your fucking mouth. Shut your fucking mouth now and turn over and close your eyes. <laughs> uh, I like this uh, next quote here. Lift your leg, languid and open for adventure. motto. <laughs> <laughs> In your case, Atlantis, present the tits a little more. Can you hold that for half an hour? <laughs> uh, I've been holding it all my life. Yeah. <laughs> That's sad, actually. <laughs> so do you think this hat makes my head look big? <laughs> <laughs> Mine's a quote between Joni and Maddie. What's our split? 50-50. What's the girl's end? I wouldn't rule out a wooden box. Mm. Old. Very cold. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then I have this one between Trixie and Jane. There's entries on both sides of the fucking ledger is the fucking point is I already talked like a fucking Jew. <laughs> Maybe he has a good side of him too that I entirely fucking missed. It's always fucking possible, drunk as I am, fucking continuously. <laughs> Anyone, anything else? Nah, that's enough. Well, thank you. Thank you for deciding that. <laughs> <laughs> We've done enough, haven't we? All right, well, our next episode is titled Requiem for a Gleet. Oh, oh. Please predict. Where's a gleet? Uh, we went into that last time. Yeah, it's a watery discharge caused by a gonorrheal infection. Oh. We went into this last time? Yeah. I don't remember. Yep. God, my memory's terrible. Because <laughs> I didn't know what one was, and, and uh, so by the time they mentioned it the third time, I went and looked it up. <laughs> I know a gleet isn't the same as a, uh, as a uh, what do you call it, kidney stone, but... Yeah. Uh, Al's gonna get his kidney stone out, and he's gonna have a funeral for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about a Viking funeral? They put in a little boat in the little creek, yeah, in front of Bullock's house, and then they light it on fire. Yeah, Aww. they send it down the creek, and then somebody shoots a flaming and arrow, then, on it. and then Jumbo jumps up and <laughs> eats it. <laughs> Jumbo just ruins the funeral, and and then the whole town hates Jumbo even more for ruining. <laughs> Al's kidney stone. God girl. damn it, Jumbo! <laughs> <laughs> so they they take their pitchforks out and their torches and they set out to kill Jumbo. So I think this whole next episode is going to be about killing Jumbo. <laughs> They're like, you're always so slothful, but now you show initiative? <laughs> damn it, Jumbo! <laughs> damn it, Jumbo, you never do what we want you to do. <laughs> Carol, do you have any, any predictions? I assume that... Um... Al's condition is going to be um, solved, and Somehow. that'll be the... Do we think Al's going to live or die? He's going to live. Okay. Just because they really need him on the show. Okay. That's my prediction. Hey, by the way, did anybody else think that this episode could have had a better name? 
The Gleet one? No, no, the one we just watched. The new money. money. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was more about terms and conditions than new money, you know? I guess they're trying to reference Wolcott coming into camp and all that represents. That's what I assumed. But anyway, um, yeah, I all I can assume on this one was that um, Al's situation is going to itself. I wonder if some other sores about the camp are going to get resolved. You know, things that are ugly messes around the camp might get resolved as well. Such as? Um, uh, it seems too early for anything of Wolcott's to, to get solved. I think that's got a long way to go getting worse before it gets better. Uh, so it probably wouldn't be Wolcott stuff, though something to do with the Chinese might be, might be a resolution there. Or I'm trying to think of what else is kind of a festering wound. Well, what do you think's gonna happen with Mrs. Isringhausen? Oh, good point. She's gonna get a gleet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> From all that stress. She's gonna. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, if there were someone, oh, I wonder if she, I wonder if she's gonna turn on, on, um, Alma and get in touch with her family in New York and make herself a problem. Hmm. That wouldn't play all that well on TV, so I doubt that that's gonna, I don't know. I don't think Alma's going to suddenly forgive her and, you know, for her supposed slight and rehire her back. I have an, I a more serious prediction than my previous one. Joni's gonna... So the whole thing with the new guy in town is that he's very dangerous. He has, a, like, a dangerous kink or something. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joni's gonna... Uh, gonna maneuver things so that her business partner there gets gets the, the, the brunt end of his... Attentions, I guess, and ends up dead. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Hmm. That doesn't sound like Joni, though. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But they, she seems a little bit at odds with her partner. Yeah. Well, maybe she maneuvers him in such a way that it ends up happening and she didn't intend for that to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I could see Wolcott getting, ending up dead, just not the, the Hearst plan, you know? Does anyone have suggestions on things to count and predict? Um, I have one idea. What? That is? That would be how many times we see a character taking a drink. <laughs> as an alcohol, as opposed as to... As an alcohol. Well, I don't, as opposed I don't think... As opposed to the water that was for, forced on Jane. Yeah, well, yeah. Unless they specifically state that it's something other than alcohol, we would just assume that it probably is. Yeah, I wonder so if someone they... takes a drink from a bottle, that's... Yeah, so every, t- every time there's a, a, a tip of a drink, that counts as one. Want to do that one? I wonder what's okay. in the special tea of Trixie's. I'll say six drinks. Twelve. Um, I'm going to go with 18. Wow. Considering this is a Western, you'd, you'd think that you could, uh, like, how many bullets fired would be a good prediction, but, like, I don't think we've had more than, like, three bullets fired this entire show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People have gotten killed any number of other ways. Some really inventive ways. As Corey can attest. (laughs) Corey, you'll find out soon. (laughs) (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Say, Will, do you have any podcasts you'd like to promote? I bet you do. Um, Nope, I guess not. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I just got a message saying that somebody's outside of my house right now. (laughs) Uh -uh. It could be me, but probably not because you were were there. Yeah, you were there. (laughs) Somebody was walking around um, 
a neighborhood close to here in the middle of the night with a samurai sword. What? Yeah. Awesome. I, I want to I wanna meet that person. <laughs> Maybe you don't. But yes, I do have podcasts. There's down below a Babylon 5 intro cast. There's What We Make, a Terminator podcast, which I do with Matt H. here. And there's also the Sensate podcast, not to be confused with Sensate cast, but the Sensate podcast. And what is that about? It's about the Netflix series Sensate from oh, the Wachowskis and J. Michael Straczynski. It's oh. an awesome show. Really? Okay. Yeah. Do you have a Netflix subscription, Carol? I do. I would encourage you to watch it. Yes, okay. give it like three or four episodes. To re- I would say four because they said that it was designed to be watched in like four episode blocks. Right. So uh, like every fourth episode is like the event episode where the stories in those four kind of culminate. So it builds to like the fourth one. So oh. you should definitely give it to at least four. All right. But I liked it more and more as I watched it. So All right. Good to know. How far along are you on the Babylon 5 podcast? We are doing the season three finale next weekend. Oh, okay. And there's two more seasons after that. Okay. Yep. And then next year. Yeah, speaking of, uh, yeah, next year we'll be starting Spartacast some point next year ah. about the Star series, uh, Spartacus. I just watched the first episode a few days ago. So many breasts. <laughs> well, now we know what we can count for that. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of breasts. So you, many breasts in that episode. Pairs? You do that for this show, too. Would you count them in pairs or singular? Um, pairs. Okay. I, but what I if would... you have only one, one exposed? Yeah. Well, okay, we'll do a singular. But there's also a lot of penis in the show as well in later episodes, so we can count that, too. Mm. Something for everybody. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, it's a fun show. I'm excited. The Blu-ray was on sale on Amazon, so I already bought it. Ooh, yeah. Blu-ray penises and boobs. The Blu-ray set is nice. <laughs> HD. <laughs> and it's on Netflix uh, if you want to follow along next year. Oh, probably in the States, yeah. I, I hope it stays on. Yeah. That's my only concern is that it's going to get pulled. Hopefully it won't. It's a good show. It's fun. It's not deep, but it's fun. Good, good. As always, you can find us at hooplecast.com. That's where we have direct downloads, show notes, links to discussion threads. They take you right to the Facebook page. Go on Facebook, search Hooplecast. Twitter is at Hooplecast. And email to hooplecast at gmail.com. And go on iTunes and leave a review. And I've also got a podcast, Defenders Podcast. Nobody cares about your podcast. Yeah. No, <laughs> I know. Defenders is that Podcast. Still on? Huh? What? So is that still on? No. It will be when... Uh, Jessica Jones comes on. We did Daredevil. Now we're doing this Jessica Jones when that comes on. And the Twin Peaks podcast. Hey, I'm going to single out uh, someone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. Who that? Life... Well, I hope it's not Life NRA, but it might be. <laughs> uh, five stars. Great cast. Awesome podcast. Just started the series, and this cast makes the experience that much better. I won't watch an episode until I have listened to the cast on the episode prior. Thanks. Well, thank you. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks. Thanks for that. Mel won't kill you. I will not kill you. No. Yes, you have but a... You are. <laughs> stay of execution. Yes. yes. You didn't send feedback, but you did leave a review. That's good. Good enough good for enough. me. That's actually, if you leave a review, probably exempt you no. from any murders. It keeps the- from, any, from the murder list, you'll be off. Huh? At least for the rest of the season, That's if you right. leave a review. It That's keeps right. the boogeyman off you. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. We'll see you in two weeks. 
for Requiem for a Gleet. <laughs> Just such a charming title. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's nice. Well, Requiem, it's pretty. <laughs> There'll be music. Bye-bye. Bye, boy, boy. Fuck you. Bye. Fuck you. Is that, is that how Jewel would yeah. say it? Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you. But we are going to do a song that requires of you, the audience, a certain uh, a, a, an involvement. And that, and that uh, involvement is, is we need you at a certain point of this song to all collectively scream like you're being swallowed by a whale. Now, so that you don't do it just whenever you feel like it, just start screaming like you're being swallowed by a whale through the entire song. We're going to give you a signal so you'll know exactly when to do it, and that signal for, will come from Mr. Chris Funk here. Chris Funk. He's going to give you the signal, and the signal is going to look like this. Oh, wait for it. And there it is. So when you see that signal, you'll know to, be sc- to scream like you're being swallowed by a whale. Is that clear? That's clear? All right, let's give it a trial run. If you wouldn't mind, Mr. Funk, one, two, three, Go! That'll do very nicely. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Mariner's Revenge Song. We are two mariners, a ship's soul survivors in this belly of a whale. Its ribs are ceiling beams, its guts are carpeting. I guess we have some time to kill. May not remember me, I was a child of three, and you a lad of eighteen. But I remember you, and I will relate to you how I history's a new At the time you were awakened. My widowed mother found so sweet So she took you in Her sheets still warm with him Now filled with filth and foul disease It's time, moron You proved a dead, ridden, drunken mess Leaving my mother a pork and some Disappeared, your gambling arrears, the only thing you left behind. And then the magistrate reclaimed our small estate, and my poor mother lost her mind. Then one day in spring, my dear sweet mother died. But before she did, I took her hand. 
Exchanging words with a penitent whaler from the sea. The captain of his ship, who matched you toe to tip, was known for one cruelty. The following day, I shipped to sea with the privateer. And in the whistle of the wind, I could almost hear. That fateful night, we had you in our sight after 20 months at sea. 
Your starboard flank a beam. I was getting my muskets clean when came this rumbling from beneath. The ocean shook, the sky went black, and the captain quailed. As before us grew the angry jaws of a giant Don't know how I survived The crew always Chewed alive I must have slipped between his teeth But oh what providence What divine intelligence You should survive as well as me It gives my heart great joy to see your eyes fill with fear So lean in close and I will whisper the last word you'll hear He's on my lap right now. <laughs> Hi, kitty. Yeah, he's sending his hisses at you. <laughs> he probably good. doesn't like I'm just telling you, he probably doesn't like you. Oh, oh well. Okay, whatever. <laughs> he hasn't met you, but he probably doesn't like you. <laughs> he doesn't like anyone. Well, fuck him, then. <laughs> I know. That's what most people tell him, and then he just hates them more. <laughs>
You know how a dog, they would try harder to make you love them? Well, <laughs> not this guy. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Will. Hey. Hi, Mel and Matt. Oh, oh, Matt. Oh. <laughs> I like the way you're talking today, Will. <laughs> Someone's a little randy. Exciting to be here. <laughs> Is it? Aw, uh, Will, I hope you don't have a boner right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to be here, guys. <laughs> my podcasting boner. <laughs> yeah. Stop, my penis can only get so erect. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to isolate that audio. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stop talking like that, Matt. <laughs> 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 oh, too good. Hey, Will, are you there? I I told Will he was being staticky, and then he's like, "Well, fine, I'm just gonna leave." Even <laughs> <laughs> never come back ever. Aww, he's coming back. I can't imagine he wouldn't come back. I'm here. <laughs> okay. Oh, yay! Here he is. You got I don't it. know awesome. where the static is coming from because I don't think it's ever in my recordings. Hmm. Hmm. Alright, are we ready? Let me put my boner away. Carol wasn't here back then. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know what you're talking about. And I, I was here, I only vaguely know what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking This is veering dangerously towards like podcast sex line. <laughs> <laughs> That's what our show's about now. Yes. We're a call-in show. (laughs) We just talk dirty to the listeners. (laughs) This was about Deadwood. Nope. Deadwood. Ah, there you go. We need to revive it. We're trying to do something about your dead wood. All right. All right. Sorry, Carol. (laughs) And then immediately thereafter, the said Samuel R. Curley committed suicide with the same weapon. By shooting himself through the head. (laughs) (laughs) And then we just encapsulate that off with a fart noise. (laughs) I don't know what that was. (laughs) I think that was Carol's headset. Mm. (laughs) Um, I want to know. Some some things got moved around. The cat was kind of playing. It's always the cat, isn't it? (laughs) Well, she's right here and she's doing some weird stuff. No. Well, she, she just she really likes murder stories. How is this? Uh, a uh, uh, huh? Sorry, I'm sorry. Am I no, allowed to speak cat. or not, Carol? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I had my mute on for a, a long time, and I had just taken it off, and then the cat started doing weird things. I'm really sorry. I apologize to everyone listening out there. Hush, Matt. <laughs> Uh, do not like being shushed. Um, how is this a two-parter? It seems pretty cut and dry. There's more to come. I don't know. We're talking about the Joni's friend, right? Okay. The one we were just talking about. That's a, that's what I assumed. Anybody else? <laughs> is that your cat? Is that your cat? What was the? Did Wait, that come out? Did you hear that? She was just scratching her 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 chin. It was like. Whoa. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. It's, it's, it's oh, okay. She was moving. She, she was moving around, and then she stopped, and she scratched and stuff. I didn't think it would come through the microphone. It's Honey, just... you're better quieter. 
Who knew that cats were the enemy of this podcast? (laughs) I'm very sorry. I I could put her out and close the door. She's just used to spending like all her time with me when when I'm home. That's nice. No, that's fine. (laughs) I thought somebody put a mic in the fart patio for a second there. (laughs) So we were here. It's like everything she does is coming across that way on the. It doesn't sound like that here, but it's weird. You know, she's. She's just, she's kind of moving around the microphone back and forth, and so she's on my lap right now. So, Will, you wanted to know what cunt we, you know, EB was talking about? Yes. And Carol, you suggested that he was talking about who? Joni's friend that we Maddie. were just talking about. Okay. I I don't remember her name. Maddie. Maddie yeah. Maddie. That's who I assumed because she's the new person in town, and she's uh, the one that. <laughs> What? <laughs> Did something else weird happen? All right, guys. I'm going to go take care of this person who's outside of my home. <laughs> okay, that's person. creepy. It is. Good luck with what's, that. What's going on there? T- yeah. I've got to get to my mom's house and put out the Who told you there's somebody outside of your home? Say what? Who told you there's somebody outside of your home? Oh, they sent, the person sent me a chat message on oh. Facebook. Oh, like, so I'm outside of your so home? So they're known to you. Okay. Sort of, but not really. <laughs> I don't okay. really know them. Okay, well, don't get murdered now. Oh. Yeah. Um, I have a knife beside my bed, remember? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, some of you may not have heard that conversation. <laughs> no, no. But, <laughs> creepy. But even so, you're going outside, so you need to take it with you, I guess. Bring your pillow with you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> or your nightstand. <laughs> why, why are you holding a pillow out here? Walk out in your pajamas with a nightcap on. Yeah. <laughs> and, a pil- and a pillow. With a knife behind it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's sword. not creepy at all. Oh, a hemorrhoid remover. 